Hello, welcome to Right Act, the alternative music podcast. My name is Stephen Hill. His name is Renfrey Dedman. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are good. you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. We're recording this on the second to last day of the decade, oh. which feels quite apt because uh, this is the second part of our top 20 albums of the decade, the tens. Uh, we've already done numbers 20 to 11, if you want to kind of flick back a bit and uh, and and listen to that then you can are we officially calling it the tens is that what we've no decided? that's just what i've called it mm. but i guess you would you should call it the tens right i'm quite the looking teens. forward to the 20s i'd like to the I'm roaring a, 20s <laughs> yeah i'd like to be a part of the 20s and yeah. I'm, I'm going to be well, you're, about, you're about to be well actually who knows i might collapse Christ, with a heart that attack before yeah it's always uh, a possibility Steve. Uh, the the first half of this was I think fair to say probably full of some fairly surprising picks. I think. Do you think so? I think. I feel like mine. Were, people wouldn't necessarily have gone. I mean, you know, I banged on about dissociation by the Dillinger Escape Plan, for mm, example, and then mm, I ended up mm. at the last minute pick, picking Option Paralysis. I think maybe people might have thought Black Peaks would have been higher. Maybe yeah. they would have thought her name is Calla was too early a record to be getting in there, but it's it was too early, mate. This is released in this decade, and that's why <laughs> we've waited till the 30th of December 2019 <laughs> to record this so that you could include albums from this year, which is a rule that you stated and then fragrantly, fragrantly, flagulently, flatulently ignored. I, I, I um, fragrantly and flatulently ignored <laughs> yeah. it, yeah. Um, uh, it was too difficult, mm, too difficult mm, to say is the real deal the top 10 um difficult top 10 yeah yeah it was pretty fucking <laughs> yeah difficult. it was kind of difficult just knowing i mean i actually tweeted just before we started recording um i sent the tweet out going i'm still in my head flipping around these 10 records yeah to be Apart honest there is there is one position which i found incredibly easy but i'll talk about that later okay to be honest with you these positions are just constantly shifting and changing and it kind of depends what mood you wake up in mm. as well you know like it's 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 a, it's been an interesting thing doing so many lists so so close together. It kind of makes me realise that it is just a sort of guide almost rather than like yeah. a definitive uh you know, this is this is the penultimate Renfrey's favourite thing ever. Yeah. But I mean well, my, it changes so much and when we yeah. get to my number ten, I think that will prove how much uh, things can change over the, over the years because my number ten. Well, we'll get into it in a little bit. My number ten was not even my number one of, two, of the, the year that it came out. So you know, um, we also had Chris Earl tweeted me and he said, "Is there a chance of the worst of the tens special?" Uh, we're not going to do a worst of the ten special, um, and it feels a bit mean to kind of shout out the very very worst albums of the decade. So I'll just say "Temper Temper" by Bullet for My Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> I would find that really... A, I'm sick of lists. Yeah. Right, personally. Like, putting these lists together, you, you, you always try to, like, make sure you're not going to get um, too invested in it, and then inevitably you do, mm. and you find that it's uh, just far too difficult, and, and you spend an agonising amount of time. I mean, we've been talking about... Well, you we've both been doing... what We started work on this list, what, like, August, September? Yeah. Kind of thing, yeah, you know? Yeah. When you're I've talking been about... thinking about it almost all year, pretty much. Yeah, I think yeah. this time last year, we actually mentioned it, and then from that moment on, it was sort of in my head. Yeah, yeah, and it's been a real ball ache, and I'm quite happy to get it out of the way, I have to admit. Yeah. Are there um, any albums off the top of your head that you fucking despised this decade that you think deserve a mention just for how bad they were? Something that you remember being really, either really disappointed by, or just plain flat out rubbish 
No. Got a face saying like, I feel this feels mean. <laughs> it does feel, well, but I just, I don't really, I don't spend a lot of time listening to music that I fucking hate. Mm, and and I see, I've had to do a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, for most of this decade, I was in quite a Shout fortunate. Shout out Team Rock again. <laughs> most Shout of out Psycho Stick. Probably the worst record, uh, the, the actual worst record of this, this, de- this decade probably is the Psycho Stick album that I had to review. You see, I've never. I've never had the pleasure of the Psycho Stick album. Maybe you should give that to me for trade-off. I wouldn't wish that on my worst. (laughs) Um, I'd also say Interalia by At The Drive-In. In terms of the biggest disappointment, I think that is the worst album by a band that I love. Probably ever. Mm. Probably the worst. Yeah. In fact, of a band that I really, really, really love, if you were to take the entire Faith No More, Tool, Fugazi, I mean, none of those bands really have a bad record between them anyway. You know, Deftones, Mm. Dillinger... Um, at the drive-in refused all the bands that I love you know Napalm Death um, Mastodon whoever else you want to kind of add in who are bands that I really you know that I bang on about a lot mm-hmm. as in love 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 Rancid as well I mean mm-hmm. Rancid have got some pretty kind of average albums that I've been doing over the last 15 or so years but I don't think anything is as bad as that at the drive-in record eh, it's alright well, is it? <laughs> yes. Is it all right? Well, it's, uh, I don't listen to it, but you know, yeah. I've I've never understood your total hatred for it. Um, I just think it sounds like a sort of tribute band, a, a bad at the driving tribute band, mm. a really bad at the driving tribute band, and all the things before that made them really exciting just sound a bit sad mm. on that record. I'd rather it didn't exist. Yeah, but I don't. But I, but I, especially but coming, I don't you know, sleep like, over it. yeah. I mean, at, famously, as I said, coming off the back of Relationship of Command, if you play their discography, discography in kind of chronological order, yeah. you end Relationship of Command, and then the next thing is that, and it's like, oh, I've never done that actually. Maybe I should, I mean, and maybe so I think you should feel the way no. that you do about it. I don't yeah. know. Um, but for the majority of this decade, I've been quite fortunate in that the position that I had at the Independent, I was fortunate. Enough I didn't have to review like if I didn't like something you just mm. switch it off yeah. do you know what I mean so yeah. I don't really have like a big list of records that I um dislike or or hate so I'm sort of fortunate in that sense in that I don't really I, I would find that list an incredibly difficult one to do there's a lot of really bad pop punk uh albums that came out uh, about you know the sort of first half of this decade a lot of really bad pop punk albums that I heard um anything by kind of anything kind of wacky like l storm i'm mean, actually gonna say to go back to at the driving album i thought of a, it it would be like if al pacino made the godfather and then his next film was jack and jill with adam sandler <laughs> you watch those two back to back and you're like wow what the fuck happened to that guy um, oh, okay that's kind of what i feel that is like so that's why i think it's it's so bad because it's a pretty bad album but yeah I, I would say i mean temper temper by bullet i'm not even joking i think that is hysterical i mean that's kind of so bad it's funny mm. i've never heard it haven't you nope. you should listen to that that it's a really hilarious record the only bullet album i've heard in full is the poison is it mm. lucky you yeah lucky me um anyway <laughs> um we shouldn't just dwell too long on the bad things what about best song i was going to say are there any songs from this decade now i i kind of dropped this on you just before we started and i said how about you just pick a song from a band who aren't featured in our list this is more like shout outs to songs from bands that aren't on these lists or wouldn't be on these records because obviously if you say like the best 
songs of the decade they're probably going to be on the best albums of the decade but there are a few songs um that have come along this decade that i think have been brilliant uh from bands that i haven't necessarily been totally in awe of um for me uh i want to say one song which i I love and I, i do really 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 like the record and i do really really like the band but i have to say for me canary yellow by death heaven Oh, is nice. one of the best songs of this decade mm. full stop it's mm. just fucking fantastic i couldn't quite justify getting that entire record in this list but i do think that's and i it, it's arguable whether it's even the second best def heaven album of the decade do you know what i mean like i think mm. it is. I, I think, think it i is. think it is but, yeah. <laughs> but you know but that's a obviously a different yeah um chat to be had but um there's that i think as a one-off song as well square hammer by ghost still endures an absolute rage i know they end their live show with it now even though it was written for them to yeah to, to, to open, open it, it right? yeah yeah it's a pretty it's a fucking brilliant works. song it's a great opener but yeah great song and um just as a little bit of something different bang bang by jesse J, ariana grande and Nicki minaj is an <laughs> absolute fucking tune of i know the highest order even i know that song it's a it's fucking good. brilliant song. yeah yeah so yeah, they'd be good. the three off the top of my head okay um i'm gonna say uh bruma by mole uh it's the third track on i think it's bruma anyway it's the third track on um their debut album i just think it's like a perfect amalgam of that uh black gazy sort of sound um in a totally different mold um i cannot get enough of jacked up by weezer from the white album it just puts me in such a wonderful mood every single time i put it on um just just a wonderful 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 song um and i'm gonna give a shout out to our good mate jamie lemon great yeah um and i think oh god what evolve song I, go for? I was probably 30. yeah so i but heartbeat i mean i would i, I think is one of the best opening songs if a, a sort of an album opener it's one of the best album opening songs forever i think i'm gonna go the opposite end of the album and say the title track the last song of the album devolver brilliant. just you know a brilliant song and uh singing i am irrelevant uh in a room of a few hundred people all singing the same thing is a really uh awesome thing to do yeah. you know um so yeah yeah. yeah, well, that got that got to mention the Devolver album in the sort of just just missing out on my top sort of was on the list though. Uh, yeah, but um, so that's sort of why I didn't. Yeah, but oh, I'd, I'd have Heartbeat as well. Heartbeat's great. I don't care about it. I mean, that album is uh, it's is fucking wall to wall, chock a block. Yeah, 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 with absolute tunes in it. Great record. Yeah. Um. Anyway, let's do it then. The top ten records of the decade. Sounds like a really big, grand thing to be doing. Mm. Uh, Renfrey, I'm going to let you start. Oh, am I going first? Yes, please. Rightio. My number 10 is um, uh, a band that we both adore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the Deftones. Hello. Not, not the not the definitive article, article. I don't know why they were ever referred to as the Deftones. But it's Deftones. Deftones. Koino Yakan. Uh-huh. Now, the um, popular choice... Um, for the Deftones, why did, I, why did I keep saying that? I don't know. <laughs> the popular voice choice for Deftones' best album this decade would be Diamond Eyes. Yes, it would. And uh, I completely understand that. I think Diamond Eyes 
Diamond Eyes is like the album with a better story because it's the album that they came back um, from a sort of mid-career slump and all that sort of thing, or a perceived mid-career slump. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, one day we should talk about that self-titled record and Saturday Night Wrist because yeah. I've got a lot of things to say about them. Um, and look, Diamond Eyes is an excellent album. Do not get me wrong. I think it's absolutely fucking amazing. But Koino Yakan is more of uh, a Renfri album, I think. It's fair I would to say. say so. In the sense that there's a far sort of stronger emphasis on light and shade. It's more expansive. There's more variety. It's more ambitious. Um, and like Chino himself himself said, I really feel like we reached a peak on our dynamics of this record. And I think pretty much every single song proves him correct. Like my favorite, I'm, there's a lot of things that I adore about Deftones. They are one of my favorite bands of all time. But my absolute, probably my absolute favorite thing is is that kind of balance between light and shade. That balance between something really, really beautiful and then a crushing guitar coming in. You know, it's the thing that people talk about. People usually um, attribute the the beautiful stuff to Chino and the crushing stuff to Stephen. I think yeah. that's most likely a, a gross oversimplification, but I suppose it's an easy way, especially when you consider the. All the ever-growing presence of Frank Delgado in the band and what he brings to the band. Very interesting you say that because actually another thing that I adore about this record, I don't think you can honestly hand on heart say that every single Deftones record utilises all five members of the band um, equally. Mm. Um, and Koino Yakan is one of the closest to do so. I feel like Frank Delgado's uh uh you know all his sort of um the ambient stuff that he puts into the background of songs like tempest or rosemary he just brings out these really beautiful textures in them i think sergio um really stepped up to the plate with this album um you know i probably for diamond eyes felt like he was sort of tentatively stick tiptoeing around a little bit in terms of the writing stuff understandably Mm -hmm. um given the situation but uh it feels like he really stepped up and like felt like a you know he was now a full-time member of the band and felt like he could be a part of the writing and just you know listen to his bass parts and swerve city and stuff like that and it's just fucking monumental that song is such a rager i mean swerve city is the one that everyone goes on about and it is brilliant again don't get me wrong instantaneous Um, it's instantaneous and and you know if if that if that song comes on and you're not nodding your head or tapping your foot or something um there's something wrong with you you know surely Mm. um but i think um i think it's actually it is the songs like uh rosemary and tempest and um, entombed Entombed is one of the most beautiful songs Deftones have ever written. Those like three, I'm, I'm, I sort of see those three songs as like the three epics of the record, you know. Yeah. Um, and they are, they are like track five, seven, and nine as well. Mm. They're like this album is sequenced so perfectly, um, the way that it runs. And I just feel like this is going to sound disparaging to Diamond Eyes, and it isn't meant in a disparaging way. But if the songs on Diamond Eyes are like burgers and chips, then the songs on Koino Yakan are like roast dinners in in the sense of like how much they have going on and how fulfilling they are. And, you know, Diamond Eyes is full of really immediate 
thrills and and those thrills stay with you because it is a phenomenal record but i think koino yakan takes more time to digest but once you have the satisfaction is there and it's more rewarding and so on and so forth um there isn't a single song on this record that i don't love really i just think it's pretty much perfect and how many times do a band come back with a record and then follow it up with an album which is debatably as good if if not in my opinion even better mm. you know i was kind and of and then another one which i would say is not far off the quality of either of those yeah albums. quite i mean i was thinking of bands like um machine head you had the blackening um and then onto the locust you know which is a record that i really really like but generally is not too well loved yeah. um <laughs> this might this will be a weird one for you but green day came coming back with american idiot and then which is a yeah. wonderful album yeah, uh, <laughs> and then um they, and then a few years later they came back with 21st century breakdown which is just a really poor over bloated imitator of yeah. american idiot you know it's really 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 rare um and it's difficult to have a i don't even i don't even like the term comeback album with deftones because i still think I, 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 but that is the general perception, even though, you know, self-titled and Saturday Night Rest weren't particularly well received. Um, but yeah, it just, it, it very, very few bands managed to do that. And um, I think, I, I, I don't think I would have predicted that I'd prefer the follow-up to Diamond Eyes more than Diamond Eyes, but I did. Right. Well, there you go. Koino Yokan by Deftones. Good, good start at number 10 for you. Mm. Thanks. My number 10 came out in 2012, and I don't think, I think it might have made, just touched the top seven uh, of, like, got into the top seven or eight of my albums of the year. But it wasn't one that was that high in 2012, and it's weird to think now that it's ended up being comfortably the album that I go back to the most from that year. Um, It's Funeral Beach by Blood Command. Oh, nice. Now, Blood Command, um, this is, so what, two years after Cavellatac's debut record. Cavellatac's debut record was obviously a, you know, a big deal and is a fucking great record. That's a great record, that first Cavellatac album. I mean, absolutely brilliant. I saw someone today calling it the metal debut of the decade. And, uh, you know, I'd be... If someone thinks that, I'd be hard-pressed to disagree with them. Because, it's a contender. Yeah, because it had such an impact on the scene at the time. And um, and Blood Command came along and I felt like, oh, it's kind of Cavell Attack, but with a bit more of a disco-y, poppy element to it. It's kind of blondie meets what Cavell Attack were doing with punk rock and, you know, rock and roll and black metal and all that kind of stuff. There are bits of blast beats in there. There are bits of like, you know thrashy punk in there mm. um but there's also this other thing that cavell attack don't have which are these really danceable grooves and yeah. if, you know the actually the first feature i ever did i liked this band and then uh when it, when this record came out and i found myself listening to it more and more and more as the year went on it became an album that i ran to a lot I would go jogging and I just listen to the whole thing and it makes you really it's a really sort of propulsive record. I thought so, you meant you were running to it in a sort of yeah, like, oh, in, into its arms. <laughs> Embracing yes. it. Yeah. And um but then I did my first feature for Metal Hammer. My first ever feature for Metal Hammer was on Blood Command. I went out to Norway to see them uh play a festival in uh in Bergen. And as a sort of warm up for it, I listened to the record a lot and then I talked to the guys in the band and I was sort of saying, you know, what's the you know the next step and what do you and, and they said we want to be gallows cross with abba 
<laughs> now, if you can't fucking get on board with that, I mean, Lord only knows what what could make you happy. They already were. Know. They already were gallows crossed with ABBA, weren't they? Yeah, point, but, and they were saying, much. you know, we want to add more. Yeah, well, they said that's the kind Even of thing. They want to add more hip hop to it and stuff, which I think, right. you know, the, the records that have come since are really good. Like Cult Drugs particularly is a, is a, you know, is a really, really good record. But for me, this record, it absolutely hits that sweet spot between pure pop thrills yeah. and like dirty rock and roll. Yeah. And some of the songs on this record, some of the choruses, you know, the... I think you can tell when a song is catchy and brilliant when you can sing the backing when when you love to sing the backing vocals. One of the things I often do when <laughs> I'm sort of at the gym or if I'm going for a run or whatever is I will sing just the backing vocals actually and I won't be able to stop myself from singing them out loud. So I'll be like in a gym and I'll just go whoa whoa <laughs> <laughs> and I do that with this record pretty much from beginning to end. I mean, it reads like a greatest hits. Yeah. Uh, this this record does. Pissed off and slightly offended is such an amazing opener. Yeah. And then you've got March of Swan Elite is like not just under ninety seconds long, just a pure like punk rock belter again with massive fucking um, uh, backing vocals. Cult of the new beat, death to death to all but us again are like. I mean, they feel like more like they could sit on the, the sort of on that first Cavella Tech album. They're a bit more rock, a bit heavier, but again with massive, massive vocal hooks. Wolves at the door again under two minutes, just a, the biggest chorus ever, and proper like raw, like real death metal backing vocals. High Five for Life is one of the fucking best pop songs yep. of Excellent. the entire millennium. It's absolutely amazing that. Ice, ice baby refrain. Mm, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't not, you can't not sing that. Yeah. Um, and then here next to murderous, true North corpse survivor. Those, even those three, you'd think by the second half of the album, you'd be going, oh, you know, they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna run out of steam at some point, and they just don't. They just absolutely don't. And then the title track at the end is six and a half minutes long. It's really weird. It's really catchy. It's really great. Um, they just, I think I describe them as. Uh, um, Paramore meets Celtic Frost meets Turbo Negro in the first review I did of them for for Metal Hammer. And although that feels like I've ramped everything up to the absolute nth degree, I don't think it's a million miles away. No, it's not a million miles away. Mm. And they're a true amalgam as well, aren't they? It's not um, Celtic Frost bit, then Paramore bit, then, Mm. you know, they are actually, they are actually doing these really poppy melodies over, you know, black metal-esque mm. guitars and we were very keen on pagan the australian band who do a quite a similar thing although i think yeah. pagan do uh, rely on being heavier a lot more i think pagan do go kind of although their image looks much more pop musically therefore i think they're they're much more you know you do get like full blast beats a lot do you know what i think the difference is and the reason why i was a little bit like hmm, when you brought up cabell attack i've never uh, blood command undoubtedly have metal elements in them but i've never really viewed them as a metal band no i've always viewed them more as a sort of punk band yeah i think so um whereas pagan i view as a metal band yeah yeah i think think the the reason for that is is that the metal is there's definitely i mean yeah i would say they're a hardcore band like if, if you had to just go what is this and you're only allowed one word it's not gonna be metal or pop it's 
it's probably gonna be hardcore. hardcore. It'll yeah. be they're they're a hardcore band. Yeah. But you know, you could argue there's there's a lot of hardcore in Cavell Attack. There's but there's also a lot of metal in Cavell Attack. There's a lot of classic rock. There's a lot of, you know. Um, yeah, I guess I'm thinking just more. What is the foundation mm. of it? Mm. And and, but they, and but then you know they've got those the, the the pretty much the whole thing is that fucking 1978 disco drum beat yeah the whole thing yeah you know and yeah. there are blood you know there are blast beats i mean like i mentioned like march of swan elite or um wolves at the door uh that i mean that bit at the end of march of swan elite that da, 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 when it is just pure like roll, roll, take on, roll, take yeah on. that fucking like grow, 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 like barney greenway vocal yeah. that's that's as me- that's as metal as anything on the fucking cavell attack record yeah and yeah you know that it starts with a really kind of hooky disco beat to it is just proves what a fucking genius band they are. I think they're brilliant. I don't quite think they've topped this. I mean, obviously, I don't because it's there. There isn't another hmm. Blood Command album in this list. I don't think they've topped this, um, but they still continue to do brilliant, brilliant music. But for me, this is it's going to be very, very difficult for them to top this. I have to say, I think Cold Drugs is very close cold drugs is really good yeah really really good to to the point where i think there was a period of time where i was like i think i prefer cold drugs to this but it's the extra the added electronics on cold drugs i think is really cool but then it becomes like a big old melting pot Mm. like it's they've kind of widened it out widened out something which is already cinematically Mm. wide as it was yeah and I thought actually Cult Drugs, if I was to have one little tiny criticism of why I think this is better, I think A, the songwriting is better on this, and B, um, uh, it felt, this feels more like Blondie as opposed to pop music done by a more modern artist. Yeah, can't argue with that. Mm. Yeah. Because the electronics make it seem a bit more zeitgeisty, where this mm. just feels like nothing else, I don't think. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So okay. there you go. There that you. is number 10 for me, Blood Command's Funeral Beach. Okay, my number nine. Um, we've said already quite a lot how um, this list is very much a very personal thing and it's um, how these albums have affected us in certain at certain times in our lives and, and this one is definitely one of those albums for me. This is the fourth album by a uh, Pennsylvanian uh, Heartland Rockers, I suppose. The Menzingers, mm-hmm. uh, Rented World. Um so this, I, I I said a lot when we were talking about the Menzingers' new album, how I really like the Menzingers when they take things back a little bit and are a bit more, you know, ballady isn't quite the word, but just a little bit more sort of contemplative, mm. I suppose. And I feel like this is a really contemplative album. It's a, um, the lyrics are about sort of paranoia <laughs> and turning 30. And this album came out in 2014 um, and I probably listened to it about six months before I turned 30 for the yeah. first time. So it, it came out at... Turned 30 for the first time? Oh, hold on. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> turned 30. Full stop. Happy second 30th birthday, <laughs> <laughs> Um And uh, it was just so pertinent to what I was feeling and what I was thinking at the time. I mean, obviously the album starts with, I don't want to be an asshole anymore. Yeah. Haven't achieved that, but um, you know, it's, it's, it, it completely encapsulated my feelings and my thoughts and my, uh, <laughs> my life. It felt like at that time. Um, 
it ended up being my number one record of 2014. And before Rented World, I hadn't really been that bothered by the Menzingers. They just sort of passed me by. And I ended up listening to Rented World and going back to their stuff and going, oh, okay, I've completely missed out here. This was stupid of me. But um, I think I needed a record that really spoke to where I was at that point in time for me to understand it and appreciate it. Um I don't want to be an arsehole anymore is the song that usually people talk about on this album, but it's one of my least favourite songs on the record, actually. Um, songs like Nothing Feels Good Anymore. It's just so sort of self-deprecatingly like nasty and vitriolic, but wrapped up in these these awesome melodies. A song like Rodent. And me and the Rodent in the Wall have, nothing, have more in common after all. Um, the way the guitars interlace at the beginning of Bad Things, which is the second song on the record, just sounds, it sounds so beyond what most of those heartland rock bands are capable of. Um, the way, the way that Greg and Tom are, uh, interacting with one another, I suppose. It's just, it's just, it's huge. Um, it ends on this beautiful ballad when you died uh you know which is almost dylan-esque in its yeah, kind yeah. of poetry um and it's it's beauty and i remember talking to greg about recording that and they tried all sorts of ways of doing it and then in the end he just sort of picked up a battered old guitar wasn't even using a plectrum and just strummed out like the, the chord strumming is just it's the most simple pattern you could possibly imagine i mean it's it's nursery rhyme-esque but it makes it all the more powerful um especially when you're singing lyrics like um where do people go when they die how do you keep them alive you know um or i was on my way to heaven when you died it's almost like i mean i always imagined like someone i was on my way to heaven being like a junkie like shooting up um and then you know like their friend passes away or something like that it's just it's just the images that it creates are just startling just absolutely amazing um i think the lyrics like their lyrics are always phenomenal but they just particularly hit me with this album the refrain of where your heartache exists i know where your heartache exists it's when you are around and when you're without me you know it's just like this sort of sense that you can't you just can't win basically. Um, and yeah, this album just means a hell of a lot to me. Um, I can't really put it any better than that. It's just every single song just says, speaks to me and says something to me and very much did at that time. This is the first Menzingers record that I heard. Right. Okay. Actually. And, um, and I sort of came to it quite late. I mean, again, like say 2014, the team rock period, um, a lot of people from the sort of younger people were banging on about this record. It's amazing. It's amazing. They're amazing. They're amazing. They're amazing. It took me a little while to actually listen to it and then sort of get into it. In fact, it took me really until just the men's things in general. It wasn't really until after the party came along, which is the one that was on that I mentioned yeah. last week, which would be my pick personally. But again, yeah. probably because it was the one that I got into first and really sort of loved. But I did have uh, Rented World and I was always like, this is really good. But it never sort of. 
I don't know. It just struck me as this is a band who are doing a thing that I've heard quite a lot and they're doing it quite well. And again, especially like it, it came out the same year as the Against Me Transgender Dysphoria Blues. And I think it's a, it's not really a similar record. It's not a similar record at all. But it's, you know, there's only so much room for that type of thing in your well, life the, at one go, I think. And it's I, I think I'd found the thing of that that I wanted to listen yeah. to around that time. You know they're, I mean? bo- they're both incredibly emotionally yeah, personal. Personal. Uh, open raw records yeah yeah definitely. and we've talked about those those albums before in that like sometimes sometimes it's just about whether those songs resonate with you or, yeah, or not and and i i can't i can't give a sort of specific critical reason why i think rented world is the best menzingers record i mean i do i do think it's the best one but i can't critically sit down and say oh the songs on rented world are better than the songs on after the party it's Mm. just i the time that i heard rented world i just i just related to those songs so strongly as well do you know what i mean i think when you're a band as long as you are a band like the mending as you continue to be able to write these songs that just sound like you know soundtracking important moments in people's existence and that was that's that's yeah. really all they need to yeah, do i agree so the, the songs that I, I said this before but songs that are so personal so that feel like they were written for you and yet you turn up to their shows and thousands of people were singing them in the manner as if they were written for them as mm. well you know and the menzingers do that better than pretty much any other band on the planet right now i think mm. um there you go. Number you nine go. for Renfrey is the Rented World by the Menzingers, or Rented World by the Menzingers. I nearly went more the rented, the rented World by Menzingers, which would have been <laughs> more definitive wrong. article stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Why. Um, okay. My number nine. This is. I mean, this, I'm, you're going to do what I did for Fox in last week. Now, I think um, my number nine is All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us by Architects. Um, I've got the wikipedia page for this up in front of me now and i'm gonna read you uh, the last line in the review that it got in metal hammer which i wrote actually uh <laughs> it says in an album full of loud noises the loudest noise above it all is the sound of every other metalcore or metalcore band on earth choking on architects dust that is what i think all our gods are band have, uh, all our gods have abandoned us was uh when it when it was in, when it was released with um tom still tom Searle still being with us my initial reaction to all our gods have abandoned us was just that wow don't you write so much better songs than every single one of the bands within your peripheral vision every one of these modern metalcore bands sort of tech toned modern metalcore bands you are better than all of them. Clearly so much better than all of them. You write better songs. You have better riffs. You have more interesting song structures. You have a better vocalist. You have a better drummer. You have a better guitarist. You have a song like Memento Mori, the eight-minute closer, which, you know, has as much to do with Cult of Luna or Deftones or um, Aphex Twin as it does with Asking Alexandria or of mice and men or whatever and i just remember thinking congrats you know i'm really really pleased that architects have made you know because the the one before the lost together lost forever 
a great record, really great record, really, really good for that type of thing, you know? And I think obviously we could talk about uh, um, Holy Hell and I think Holy Hell is probably the record they needed to make after Tom passed away. But um, I don't feel bad or I don't feel kind of embarrassed to admit that this record has become one of my favorite records of this decade after listening to it within the context of Tom's death. Um, I think lots of people do. And I think the words and the lyrics and the meaning and the thought processes behind this record, um, when taken the, the into account that this is sort of the last thoughts of a, a dying man, um, makes it really bittersweet unusually beautiful and poignant for this type of music um downfall gone with the wind there are things on that there are lyrics on that there are sort of parts on that where uh i feel a sort of shiver got my spine when i listen to it because um it's just horrible to think of you know somebody it's not even no horrible is not the right word it's it's sad to think that the person who created that had such a small amount of time left on this planet. But it's also, um, I think it's quite inspiring that he decided to spend, you know, I'm imagining what he knew was the last sort of few months, weeks, whatever, you know, uh, left on this planet, really kind of looking so deep inside himself and, and dragging up, um, his thoughts about his life and mortality and society and what he, you know, his fears of what he was leaving behind. And although this record is, is, you know, is full of bangers, you know, opening with Nihilist, what an absolute fucking banger. A Match Made in Heaven is is an absolute fucking raging song. But um, there's not many, well, not any, there's not any other bands within this kind of modern metalcore scene modern kind of tech metal scene who could or have or I think will ever be able to write a record that has so much personality, has such a personal what you were just saying a minute ago about the menzingers, about kind of reaching out and expressing something through song, through art, through music. Metalcore bands don't do that. You know, Asking Alexandria have never done that. You know, so many of these bands uh, have never done that. I spoke to Dan from Berry Tomorrow a couple of weeks ago just before their roundout show. And he said, you know, we always try and write positive songs, but their latest song they felt was the first time that he'd ever gone, I'm going to write something which is genuinely personal to me. So it's just not really a done thing within that scene. It's just something that those bands mm-hmm. don't do. Um to be able to get the songwriting and to be able to get the kind of craft and tone of this record so right and so relatable to those fans. I mean, we have to sort of, I I, I do often think of, you know, what does a typical Architects fan usually listen to? And it won't be something like Memento Mori. Hmm. You know, it it won't be an eight minute long sort of electronic blast beat stroke ambient epic. Won't be that. What do you think they typically listen to? Of Mice and Men. Okay. 
that's what I think most people who most of the people who were Architects fans in the build up to uh, Lost Together, Lost Forever, when when Architects started coming back up, or when Architects sort of first got big, they're not. The, well, I wouldn't imagine they're the sort of people who listen to much more. You know, you go to an Architects show, you don't see neurosis t-shirts mm. do you know what i mean you don't see you you see t-shirts of bands that are of a similar ilk and a similar genre to them if you go on their related artists on spotify you don't find tom waits and nick cave and people mm. do you know what i mean you don't find mm. that so for me just the intention and to realize the intention of making a record which is so personal in a genre which just does not do that and to get it this right i think is an incredible achievement it stands alone completely this record i think this record utterly stands alone there are moments on the last two parkway drive albums where i think they have aimed for something similar particularly on the last record and i think they've parkway drive have done a really really good job of um of writing songs that are you know are, are, are you know are really about something deeply personal to them and they've been through some fucking harrowing shit as well the members of that band but for architects to do it over an entire album and for one person to be the the sort of the conductor and the conduit of of of, of all of that and to kind of to really pour that last remaining piece of himself out and do it through a medium which is so alien to that i think is it's pretty amazing. Did it um, have a new resonance for you after Tom passed away? Definitely it did, yeah. Mm. Okay. Everything makes much more sense listening mm. to it now. I mean, I remember, you know, I reviewed the record and I spoke to Sam and I spoke to Tom a couple of times about the record and we spoke about, and I sort of was like, well, you know, what's this about? Like, what... You know what? What are these songs actually about? What is gravity actually? You know, re, re, you know, referencing why Memento Mori? Why you know what? What, what is that? Yeah. What does that mean to you? <clears throat> and obviously, Sam sort of just went, oh, and Tom was quite coy on it, right? But then you don't. After he died, it was like, fuck! Oh, it fuck. just gave yeah. you know it gave because uh, I you know like I said I gave this record nine out of ten in Metal Hammer. I listened to it. I thought this is brilliant. Like on a purely just. <laughs> Here's a metalcore album. Here's a kind of tech metal stroke metalcore album. Here's a big band who play this type of music. Compare it to any of the other bands within the, the genre that they exist in. Like, I think they just fucking, I think it just smashes it. On a purely musical level, it, the songs are better. It sounds better. The production's better. It's just, it, it's better. But then you add in that extra added thing of the context of how it was made and where it came from. And what it kind of means now and um yeah i think it's uh i think it's a really really amazing album it's a really amazing album that to i just think that's a really difficult seesaw to get right i think it's a really difficult seesaw to go we're not gonna just ditch the music that we make completely which you know we've spoken before and i agree with you you know when you say the problem with modern metalcore is it's very generic it's this it's that it's all quite 
you know, in a very small box. Very tight box. It's yeah. a tight little box. But to kind of stay in that box, but go, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I want to stay in that box, but I want to be able to fuck with the formula within what the, it means to be one of these bands. Bring some emotional resonance to it. Yeah. I think that's why this record is so, so good. I know you don't. <laughs> no, what? Well, look, I, I'm not. I'm not. These are your choices. It's, yeah. it's got nothing to do with me. So, so there you yeah. go. Uh, number nine is Architects. All our gods have abandoned us. Okay, uh, this might be a similar, uh, <laughs> similar me wanging on about how much I love something and you being like, eh, uh, as well. Because my number eight is uh, Blood and Chemistry by Arcane Roots. Oh, um, yeah. Really interesting, actually. Some of the things that you were saying about um, Architects there, obviously arcane roots and architects of you know not similar bands but um but there are some similarities in that arcane roots play a very technical form of music um i would argue more even more technical than architects um but they bring a lot of emotion to what they do as well mm. i think um i first heard arcane roots um just before the first arc tangent they put out a playlist of all the bands they were playing and I was just going through it and trying to like uh, listen to bands who I hadn't um, heard before just to try and get an idea of some of those bands. And uh, the first song from this album, Energy Is Never Lost, Just Redirected, came up. And this guitar riff kicks in 30, 40 seconds into the song, which just sounds like i mean it's it's in 4/4 but it sounds like you're not actually sure what time signature it's in it sounds absolutely crazy and to me and i think i've made this comparison before but to me it sounded like biffy clyro playing a sugar song yeah and i had never heard that before and i was just like what the fuck is this and then it goes into this massive chorus with all these multi-tracked uh vocals and it's it just sounded epic and massive and at that point in my life it was just everything i wanted from a rock band mm. to be honest it was the perfect synthesis of everything that i had been looking for um, I mean, as well as like Biffy Clyro and Meshuggah, they also mixed elements of At The Drive-In, uh, Sigaros yeah. and Ruben. And and at that point in time, I could not have asked for a more perfect synthesis of everything that I liked. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what Arcane Roots were to a relatively small, but really dedicated group of people. Their... Um, gigs i mean i arcane i said last uh last week that i went i've seen black peak something like 28 29 times live arcane roots is not far off it's in the 20s the amount of times that i saw them in you know in a period of five years or so because every single time i went a they never disappointed me live they were absolutely fucking incredible life but the the was the crowd often made it because the crowd were really into that band uh, in a way that I think many, many areas of the press never fully understood. There's some bands who kind of manage to uh, cultivate a community. Yeah. And sometimes... Biffy the... Clyro did that very Biffy well. Biffy Clyro did that early career, on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Early on, absolutely. And I think the Biffy, you know, Arcane Roots got compared to Biffy quite a lot. And um, 
Arcane love Biffy Clyro. They've been on tour with them and stuff. I think they got a little bit fed up of it towards the end, but um, there are undoubtedly similarities in terms of how they built up that they they just they they had a connection with people that i think the press didn't understand and therefore just sort of uh batted them away a little bit um uh i was reminded of a quote from one of the members of hellers of heroes when the neon handshake came out said that when this album is released we want it to be an album that stays in a dozen people's stereos for their entire life rather than an album that stays in a million people stereos for a week and i feel like blood and chemistry is exactly that i feel like it's an album that for those who are dedicated to it and who absolutely love it it will be with them for their entire lives it's the highest placed debut album on my list uh the only other well, i don't know what mine is that's a good shout that. yeah yeah i thought so the only other debut albums on my list are statues and um death spells by holy fawn mm. um and um you know i'll make a bit of a confession here there was a bit of a kind of part of me wondered should it really be this high because um when we're getting to this point we, we're talking about records I've, you know i already said there isn't a single song on rented world that i don't like there isn't a single song on koino yakan i don't like and for the, the rest of my top 10 there probably isn't either I think um, there are one or two moments on this album. It's more moments than songs, but there are one or two moments which are a, they, where they go a tad too wishy-washy mm. for my for my liking, if I'm totally, totally, totally honest. But the highs are just so high. Um, things like Triptyke, uh, Resolve. Resolve is like the biggest stadium anthem that was never a stadium anthem. Um uh you keep me here the last like eight minute epic song on the record they just went to places that they had an amazing way of in some cases being really really technical but there was always like a really massive chorus around the corner and melding those things two things together and doing it so 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 effortlessly so so well i mean prestamico have been doing a similar thing yes really yeah, yeah. in that prestamico are when you get down to it a really really technical band but they're never showy it's not like no. look at what i'm playing it's so yeah. technical and great it always feels like a part of the song and i think a lot of people particularly people who aren't musicians probably wouldn't even notice or realize that bands like arcane roots and prestamico are really really technical and actually probably far beyond driven uh, <laughs> Sorry. far beyond um the the, the technical <laughs> <laughs> am i gonna have to start deducting points from you as well? yeah. um uh far beyond the no, far beyond the technical abilities of so-called tech bands mm. to be honest yeah in a lot yeah, of yeah, cases yeah. i mean i have to say like i'm less familiar with this record than i mean the one that i really liked Melancholy um, Hymns. is Melancholy Hymns. Yeah, yeah. which, which yeah. is also amazing and was definitely a contender. Mm. I think uh, I, this album, it, it this album came at a time, I think I'd been a music journalist for nine months mm. and it was one of the, they weren't the first band, um, but they were one of the first bands that I, um, I want to say, well, discovered isn't right, but, I didn't know anything about them and I didn't feel like other people knew about them. And I started shouting about them from the rooftops. You know, when you, 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 you sort of get a, yeah, it's exciting. You get a feeling, weird, yeah. it's, it's a 
weird thing to say, but you get a weird sense of ownership when you are massively, massively into a band and you have a platform to shout about them. Um, and and you, you try to do that as much as you possibly can. And Arcane Roots were one of the first bands that came along for me to do that. They're certainly one of the first bands who came along and who actually got somewhere, yeah. you know, before they dissipated. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so a lot of, again, a lot of it comes in, it's a sort of personal thing for me in terms of like, that meant a lot to me. Mm. Um, and Blood and Chemistry was around the time that, that was happening. Melancholia Hymns is debatably a better record. I um, Yeah, I mean, it feels, obviously I don't have the emotional connection to it. So uh, to either of them, I just heard Melancholia Hymns yeah. and I, I thought, oh, this is really good. And yeah. I think I'd probably had heard uh, this when it came out because mm. I was in may have well been in a similar sort of position to you where it was like one of the first I remember they they headlined Redfest in Guildford yep um and I watched a bit of them and I was really impressed and then I yeah. heard the record and I was like oh I was going to go mad for this and it it didn't grab me straight away and maybe I should have they felt like a much more instantaneous band headlining a festival than they were and impressive, like hugely, hugely impressive. What you say about their technicality, like they just, they sounded like the most professional band on that day. And I think yeah. that was a day where there was like uh, Berry Tomorrow, Feed the Rhino, Palm Reader, um, lots of bands from that kind of 2013 class were yeah. around that time. So, Well, they were a three piece who were writing massive songs. They sounded absolutely huge no backing tracks yeah and it was all done you know shit loads of pedals to get that massive 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 sound but it was all done live and it was all done you know properly yeah, yeah. if i can be so bold go back to that record i should do really you should do it's yeah. really fucking good yeah all right cool okay well my number eight let's talk about deftone some more Yay. um i i have picked diamond eyes yeah i um, suspected this would come up yeah i have picked diamond eyes um for the reason that it, there is a bit of, you know, I think everything you said is probably true and there is a touch of sentimentality attached to this pick, maybe. Um, that's so, that's what this, yeah, yeah. That's partly what this Certainly is about. Certainly, I didn't, uh, you know, I love the self-titled record. I don't really understand the kind of shit that it gets at all, to be honest. Um, it's because it came after White Pony, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I that's do, a brilliant album. I do understand the shit that Saturday Night Risk gets a bit. Although having said that, I think it's massively underrated. I thought Huge. Saturday Night Risk was excellent when it first came out. I fucking loved it. And then my love for it kind of dwindled over time. Um, and when Deftones were on that kind of slippery slope where it was post Saturday Night Risk and she had had his accident and you didn't really know if they were ever going to come back. Um, you know, I think particularly I saw them headlining Brixton Academy on the Saturday Night Wrist tour. I think I've said this before. It was not quite half full, but it wasn't. It was pretty empty. Yeah, and I remember then, seeing them in Bristol Academy mm. uh, on that. T and they, they were brilliant. And it was amazing to see. At that point, I was just like, oh my God, I'm seeing Deftones yeah. in Bristol Academy. But Bristol Academy's like 1,500, you know. Yeah, it was it was a time where... Um, and I think they had Coheed and Cambria touring with them was that then no that was uh that was a bit was later yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah um i can't remember who opened for them actually I to be honest uh, but anyway it was a half empty like you know two-thirds empty no two-thirds full i should say two-thirds <laughs> two full brixton academy whilst incubus was selling out four nights at brixton academy you've always and been a glass 
two thirds empty. Man. Yeah, I have. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah uh, but Incubus. I mean, great band. Yeah. Oh yeah, on light grenades. What a great <laughs> time that was. Um, and I just remember thinking, this seems so, so, so unfair. That you know, Linkin Park were probably doing two nights at the O2 at that point. Slipknot were about to become like a festival headliner. Corner and there were, were probably having their similar problems at the time because they were three yeah, pieces at that, certainly, point, at that yeah. point and they were releasing some fairly nondescript records. But then you know, and, and New Metal would die to fucking completely die to death. But I thought, how fucking unfair does this feel to Deftones? And it did. I did think you know, like, are we ever going to get that around the because you know, around the first, my favourite Deftones record and. You know, um, I could, I won't go into why, but I thought well, I, I would love to, for them to come back and be able to recapture that kind of just that giddy thrill that I got when I first heard Around the Fur. And then I watched the video for Rocket Skates on the Metal mm. Hammer website mm. and straight away I just thought, oh my God, they're, mm. they're back. I, I actually do remember where, where, well, I was sitting in front of my computer because I watched the video for it on the Hammer website, but it's one of those moments where I remember where I was and what I was yeah. doing. And yeah, I was me too. with my girlfriend at the time. I was like, you have to hear this new Deftone song. I remember her being like, eh, and just being like, you're an idiot. And then yeah. she she just needs to listen to it a bit more. But yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then it, when the album came out, I thought, oh, please, God, don't just be yeah. like one, yeah, great, one song. great song. And then when it wasn't, uh, it was just such yeah. a like yes they're fucking back they're, pr- yeah. they're properly back like they never re- like you say the comeback thing i feel funny about it too because they never really went away yeah but what yeah, they did do yeah. is they had a dip in popularity and they had a very difficult period and they had four years where we didn't really know if deftones was still a thing yeah and for them to come back with uh, i mean look at that first four diamond eyes royal Command Control, you've seen The Butcher. And then you got Beauty School and Prince straight after it. And then Rockets to the Gates. And then, I mean, the whole album is the, just... I, I said there isn't a single bad, on Ko- uh, bad song on Koi no Yakan, but there isn't a single bad song on this record no. either. Really. And I think what, what what this does do, I mean, you, you're right to say it's burger and chips versus a kind of roast dinner. Roast dinner yeah. But this is the best, most gourmet burger. Yeah. It's got cheese, it's got bacon, it's got gherkins, it's got two different types of mayonnaise and ketchup and relish. It's got fucking cheesy... Um, minced beef what they call chili fries it is the fucking best it's, to be clear that there ain't nothing wrong with burger and chips no it's and got sometimes an oreo milkshake yep. with yep. whipped cream and marshmallows yep. on top yep. it is yep. the best fucking burger you are ever going to eat i do and the thing is, that, yeah. deft, you know what what this what this record is, is is you put it on and i think it is as close as there is exactly what you know what i said at the start it, it gave me the same feeling that i got when i listened to around the fur around the fur is not the most complete deftones record it's no. not the most you know experimental it's not the most interesting deftones record but it has those moments that you will just sing forever and you know you've seen the butcher command control what is it like this place is death the way they end it in the same similar way as the as the the title track starts yeah it's yeah. just you know it was just it just felt like deftones going back to basics and let's be real like basics for deftones is fucking far more complex than 95 percent of other bands yeah um but it was deftones going back to basics and going let's just remember what it was that made that that made people love us in the first place and make an album of that and then they went off and made koino yokan and then they made gore and it feels like you know they they've begun to experiment and they've they've got all these other tricks up their sleeve as well but 
in terms of just straight like four years off we are back this is the the most bulletproof set of songs we could possibly make brilliantly produced i mean the sound of steph carpenter's guitar the crack of abe cunningham's snare drum chino's voice on it sounds amazing um you know you're right to say there is probably uh a fairly subdued bass performance from sergio vega it's not got the most frank on it either it's got a bit of frank on it but i think you're right to say like frank's i mean i think gore is the frank delgado record yeah like that there's loads of frank on yeah. gore and i think his his um his prominence in the band seemed to he seemed to come in and make this big impact on white pony and then it kind of rose a bit more and he's he's all over he's got a fair bit of stuff with mixed results i think on saturday night wrist and it almost felt like saturday night wrist they went ah, we we're not going to need you as much on this record. And I mean, don't to be, be kind of like pissed off about it. We're just not going to need you as much. To be fair, yeah, Frank and Sergio aren't on this record as much. It, it doesn't need them. No, as exactly. Much. These songs do not need them as much in the way that the Koino Yakan ones do. Mm. Um, I just like that about Koino Yakan that it's yeah, using yeah. the entire yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. breadth of the band. But, I guess. but this is, you know, yeah. this is a tight, taut, yeah. muscular powerhouse record. And there's no fat on it and, at all. And and you know, it it's the sort of record that you would go like Deftones are not a new metal band, and that kind of comparison always irked me a lot. Do you know what I mean? But I think if ever they were, and they probably were more on those first two records, this is the kind of record where you can put it on and when someone tells you that like you know, hybrid theory is the best or infest is the best fucking whatever <laughs> record. You just go, well, th- this came Excuse out, <laughs> this came out 15 years into their career. Yeah. And it shits all over those records. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so definitely. yeah, for me, it's the one, but to be honest, I would be happy to have Corno Yokan instead of this in the same way as I would have been happy to have disassociation over option paralysis. Like it wouldn't really have made a great deal of difference. I would, I would even, like gore seems to be the one that people just uh, it, that seems more disliked than saturday night wrist at this point which i think is I know, it's mad, so it? weird yeah like yeah. that is a fucking astonishingly great yeah record. i agree um and, and also i would say that like i, I would happily have diamond eyes in my list mm. um if coin didn't exist and to be honest there's there's so little between them and um they are they are excellent records back to back because they're both amazing, but for totally different reasons, which yeah. I think we've just both outlined quite well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there um, you go. Phenomenal record. Great record. Um, yeah, that's my my number eight. <laughs> <coughs> my number seven uh, is Grievances by Rolo Tomasi. Um, now, I have um talked about Royal Tomasi quite a lot on this podcast mm. and I have banged the Tomasi drum for as long as I possibly have had a drum to bang. Um uh I always thought that Rolo Tomasi had something really special in them. I wasn't there from day one, but I think I first I I, I kind of knew of Rolo Tomasi from day one, but I didn't properly, properly, properly get into them until Cosmology their second album and then seeing them support Dillinger Escape Plan, I believe at the ballroom. Yeah. I think. That sounds right to me. Uh, yeah. And then, and that was the point where I went, fuck me, this, this is a, they are a really good band. I picked up Hysterics and Cosmology and was like, I could see something really special there, but 
they were really young. I mean, they are a really young band. They're still a really young band, really, as in they're young people. Mm. Um, but um, I knew that the best was yet to come. And I was just kind of waiting and biding my time for that absolutely, truly expansive, incredible Rolo Tomasi record. A lot of people think that it came with Time Will Die um and love will bury it and that is a phenomenal record and i totally understand the arguments as to why people feel that is a better album Mm. but for me i just feel like they had already achieved that phenomenal masterwork with grievances i think they've done two masterworks in a row to be honest but grievances edges it for me partly because it came before but also it's darker it's a bit, bit of a not not in all ways. I mean, I suppose lyrically they're both very, very dark. But um, there's a sort of it's more of a sense of foreboding. I mean, it, actually, you can you can you can make quite a good Deftones comparison here in that you can say that Grievances is Diamond Eyes and um, Time Will Die is Koino Yakan. Yeah. Uh, in in some ways, because because <clears throat> Time Will Die is a more expansive, more epic kind of version of yeah. Grievances, which is obviously usually what I go for. But I just think the tightness and the tautness of grievances it just hits me in such a brilliant brilliant way i adore the way that the record runs uh into each other the whole way through you you can effectively listen to it as one track one 39 minute 40 minute song um and it it's the first time that eva um really showed off what she could do with her clean vocals she'd done a little bit with astray and a teeny bit with cosmology but it really like it felt like she was really coming into her own as a clean vocalist on this album i think she's gone even further with it with time will die um but this was the first moment where you went yeah fuck me this is really incredible like her she's actually a brilliant brilliant uh singer you know, which a lot of people didn't realise before then. Um, Opalescent is possibly my favourite Rolo Tomasi song. Um, I mean, it does change all the time, but it's it's effectively a jazz number. It's Mm. effectively a jazz song, which then ends in the most incredible, cataclysmic, uh, happy black metal blast beat. (laughs) You know, and, and... I love the way that Rola Tomasi can approach a traditional form of music and twist it and put it, put it on its head and make it something different. So making a happy blast beat bit, a euphoric blast beat bit, you know, um, stage knives. The single was just absolutely phenomenal. Crystal cascades is just this huge, huge sort of spacey number with um, James on lead vocals and, they were doing things that they hadn't done before and achieving it so, so well. Um, just the way the the record starts with Estranged, which is just a kick to the face and sort of a weird-ass time signature, which you've <laughs> never experienced before, which which Roland Tomasi were always really, really good at, but they, they released their best version of that with the first song on the record and said, yeah. right, we've done that. Here's all the other things that we can do. Um, it's it's a really phenomenal album as a whole, and and I do think you can take individual songs on, off it, like I've just done. But really, it is all about listening to the album as a whole, and it does feel like the most complete, compact 
version of Rola Tomasi that they have released. Mm. Um, and the fact that the, the band do, you know, I think there is a strong argument, even though I do prefer this record personally to Time Will Die, I do still think there's a strong argument to say that they're getting better with every single release. Makes it quite exciting to think what they'll come up with next. It does, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, Time Will Die would be my favourite one. Personally. Yeah. Again, I th- you know, I think a lot of people have said that, but then I think a lot of people and myself, I include myself in this, probably slept on Rolo Tomasi more than they maybe should have done. And I think I, think, I don't really know why that is, to be honest, Renfrey. I don't know why it is. I'm, I'm well. My my theory is because people because they are not an easy band to get into i mean they initially if you listen especially the early stuff it just sounds like a sort of mess an absolutely yeah. beautiful mess but it's it's kind of like in, in a similar way to dillinger i guess you yeah. know it's kind of like well where's my in here where yeah. is and i've mentioned this before but because time will die starts like it's a good 10 minutes before it goes mathy and bonkers and crazy yeah and i feel like that that sort of gently soothed people in Mm. and made people realize that like there was a lot more to this band than just you know hitting you over the head in lots of weird ass time signatures mm. um but with the other records you kind of had to delve into them a bit more to discover that yeah and uh time will die is the first time where they led you in gently i suppose yeah i think so uh so that's that's the only reason why i think that that could be the case but rolo are they they should be seen as national treasures they 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 only they sound like Rolo Tomasi they don't sound like anything else mm, and true. and that is those yeah. are the best bands yeah. in the world Definitely. you know yeah, the yeah, bands that sure. sound like them and only them yeah for so. sure there you go good um that's grievances by Rolo Tomasi as your number seven right my number seven I think this might be a fairly controversial one as well Renfrey I think I'm not really sure um I, I if I listen to Rush I will listen to like Vital Signs or Spirit of the Radio the kind of early 80s stuff, the stuff where they started making pop songs, I think that's all right. I think it's all right to be a prog band and to then go, actually, we're going to make a uh, a sort of poppier record and it'd be quite different and not as hard to kind of get and understand as uh, as your earlier stuff. The reason I say this is because my number seven is The Colour Before the Sun by Coheed and Cambria. I'm a big fan of Coheed and Cambria, particularly the, you know... Um, number the the numbers three and four oh, what the fuck are they even called now oh god second stage turbine second blade, stage turbine blade um, good apollo 4, yeah good apollo four uh, and in keeping secrets in of keeping secrets of Earth. yeah i even quite like no word for, no world for tomorrow as well i think that's quite a good record um but i had grown bored of Coheed and Cambria in 2015. As had many people. Yeah, the Black Rainbow, the kind of the Afterman uh, Ascension and Dissension and all that stuff. Yeah, I was like, I think I've had my fill of this band now. And so when this record came along and I was told it's not part of the the conceptual world that they've been living in. The Armoury Wars. The Armoury Wars, yeah. It's not part of that. It's, It's something completely different. I thought, oh, that's interesting. I didn't expect it to be a really personal bunch of sort of three to four minute long prog pop songs. Yeah. yeah. Which is essentially what this is. You know, it takes a lot of influence from New Wave. And, you know, I mentioned Rush before, you know, like when Rush do that kind of 80s 
prog pop thing if you want to call it that you know when yes started doing owner of a lonely heart and stuff you know mm. prog bands have a uh, a sort of history of doing this and i think this record has as much to do with the cars as it does with you know marillion or yes or <laughs> you know insert massive old school prog rock band here mm. do you know what i mean I, I do i think they just have some really really brilliant brilliant catchy immediate huge sort of stadium shagging songs on this record um and i love that it's kind of a concept about something that happened to claudio uh it was actually going to be a claudio sanchez um solo Solo record wasn't it initially yeah yeah. yeah. uh he his wife got pregnant and they wanted to move back to the house the, um, outside of New York and had a flat in New York didn't think it was big enough he wanted to move he went and moved back to the house found out the people that he was, who were renting his house had turned it into a kind of cannabis den and done a runner so his house was an absolute mess and the police basically came along and went um, you're, a, you're a massive drug baron and he was like no uh, and that's what that. happened and it's about the kind of the stresses of that and the incoming um, of him being you know being a father uh, is what sort of inspired this record, that story. Now, I don't know if you get all of that, f- exactly that from the record, mm. but I think you get enough mm. to kind of understand that this is about some sort of frustration about being stuck where you are. Mm. Um, you certainly, definitely, definitely get the fact that this is about um, fears of becoming a father for the first time. I love, the, the song Atlas is the best song on this record. It's an absolute you know it, it's the longest it's just no, it's not quite the longest song on the record actually um but it's six minutes one of the few that are over kind of it's like a, a six minute long typical more typical code in cambridge song it's an absolutely amazing song it's really really beautiful i'm trying to think of another song which um touches on becoming a parent which is as good as this it might be the best one that i can think of can you think of any songs off the top of your head that is well, about? I can, but it's further on in my list. So, oh, okay, fair <laughs> um, but I mean, the way it starts: Island Eraser, Colors, Here to Mars. Did you know, Here to Mars was <laughs> Here to Mars was the first my first dance at my wedding. Uh, I knew a song on this album was, but I yeah. can't remember. That so one. it was that, um, and you know weirdly it's not made that song a horrific thing to listen to <laughs> for me. You know, I still yeah, think yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's a brilliant song. It does kind of make me go. Oh. Uh, I wish I hadn't fucking wasted it on that. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it, it's a really, really brilliant song. And and it's a cheese, you know, Here to Mars is, when people go, you use Coheed and Cambria for your first dance. Yeah. That's normally people who don't know who they are and just think I only listen to metal. Um, yeah. Mostly her friends were like, who is it? Oh, it's a metal band. Yeah. But <laughs> right. it's, it's a, yeah, I know. It's not about up. your ex one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, it's a kind of it is a gloriously cheesy anthemic song, and a, a few people. It's quite went, a cheesy record. It is a che- yeah, it is, and, and, and a few people went, "Oh, that's awful!" That record. You know, I remember when I said, "You know, like you can't pick that record. It's awful." Like from the sort of Coheed fan base, and when I interviewed Claudio um, about their previous records, um, the Heavenly Creatures Part One, uh, which we reviewed, and we were kind of ho hum about because it felt mm. like just more of the same of what they used to do before. Mm. He went, oh, yeah, you know, we made a bit of a sort of boo-boo with that last record. And I was like, no, you didn't. Mm. No, you didn't. You, that's a much, much, much better record. Do you think that's how people perceive it now? Maybe that's yeah. how the fan base perceive it. I think it is a bit, yeah. Mm. 
I think because it, you know, it's it's absolutely the odd one out, isn't it? Uh, yeah, undoubtedly, clearly the odd one out. But um, I mean, somebody asked us this when we were doing the Q and A. I don't think we got around to it about do I know oh, we did get around to it about you know do you prefer bands to stay in their lane or do you prefer them to experiment even if the experiment isn't great? I mean, obviously, always really. You want bands to experiment as much as they possibly can, and yeah. if they can get it. And and for me, like, I I I do not understand how someone can listen to this as a record and go, "This isn't well made. This isn't good. Mm. This isn't you know." It, for me, it's far more emotionally interesting than it's out there, isn't it? You, th- this record is about what it's about. It's not. It's not a sort of a parable or a, you know. It's not cloaked in. Yeah, you know, metaphor. Whereas the Armory Wars is one massive yeah, metaphor, massive huge metaphor, yeah. which is so difficult to unravel. And you know, that's not a problem to me. I don't listen to it for that. But I, yeah. that's what I love about this record yeah. is that I do feel like oh, I get it. You know, I get the through line. I understand the emotional intent of everything that that's going on in this record. I know what it's about. I get it. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. I mean, I remember when you got Spirit Kid. I was again doing the radio at the time, and you got Spirit Kid came along, and I was like, well, yeah, I'll play it because it's new Coed, but I wasn't that excited. And then just thought, it's just such a fucking brilliant song. Hmm. It's just a brilliant, brilliant song. And nobody really is doing or has done or wants to do stuff like this anymore. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's one of those rare occasions where it's definitely a rock record, but it's a pop record and it's full of massive bangers. And I think if this had come out in the late 80s or the early 90s, they would be far bigger than they've ever been it's well, a weird one this definitely like the russian yes comparisons are really good actually i, I never even really considered that which is quite kind of crazy considering mm. this band's origins um i think i it's it it's a record which never hit with me the way that it hit with you definitely mm. i would definitely agree it's the best coheed record of this decade because oh, because yeah comfortably because because of that whole thing of them doing something a little bit different and you know, I mean, it's tighter and tauter. Than, you know, the last Coheed record, as as we said, I I didn't hate the last Coheed album. I just, no, I didn't. I actually quite liked it. You quite like, yeah. You you actually were quite keen on it, and I think you gave it an eight in Metal Hammer. You know, which yeah, is, and did, all that yeah. kind of thing. Um, but f- for me, it was just sort of more bloated, overblown Coheed, and that's mm. sort of the exact opposite of this record. And yeah. the, the fact that they, I'd I'd almost welcome them sort of doing the, an album like. The Colour Before the Sun, and then an Armory Wars record, and then another record like The Colour Before the Sun. I just think they're, they're actually think, and again, this might prove to be a controversial opinion overall, but I think they are better at writing these types of songs than they are writing eight minute long. I mean, there's a few, isn't there? Like, obviously, Welcome Home is a, is a massive tune, and um, the first track on uh, the Keeping Secrets, Keeping Secrets um, is absolutely wicked as yeah, well. Yeah, I know the one you mean. Um, but when you think of songs like, you know, Feathers from No World From Tomorrow, Ten Speed from Good Apollo 4, mm-hmm. uh, The Suffering. The Suffering might be one of my favourite. Like, I take this album away and The Suffering's probably, you know, it's, it's a, an anthem of theirs now and it's probably my, yeah. my favourite song of theirs. But, you know, all of those songs are only three and a half, four minutes long mm. and they're so great. They're so mm. great at doing that. Mm. And so when they do, you know, the really, really you know, eight to 10 minute long stuff. Sometimes it's really good. I think the sort of the, the last quarter of, um, uh, of good Apollo four is, yeah. is fucking great. Well, it's just, it's just of, like four, seven yeah, and a half minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, and, and, and that is really good. It's I awesome. think that's as good as they've, they've kind of, they nailed that. Um, 
But they are so good at writing songs like Island and Eraser and Here to Mars, Atlas, Young Love, like the audience. The audience is six minutes long. I mean, that's not a particularly easy one, but they, you know, they, they haven't completely ditched the the sound of what Cody and Camry do. No, but not I at think, all. You know, and again, uh, like I say, I think the Rush comparison is really apt because Rush still do sound like Rush on those sort of 80s records. Yeah. It's just they do it in four minutes rather than in Eleven. nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, uh, and I think Cody are really good at this. And this record is great. And it does have quite a sort of, um, quite a close personal bond with me because of, I guess, you know, still like to go to go back to here to mars just because of the sort of the way everything's ended up it's still my mate today was actually a really nice day all my <laughs> mates were there you know all my family was there and stuff and it's probably one of the only times where i've got all my mates from music and home and drama school and my mum dad and my other part of my family all together, all at together one. Yeah. probably the only time that that's ever happened so i try to think of that song more as that mm. rather than you know, the other half of the people who are there who can fucking burn in an acid attack as far as I'm concerned. Good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shall we move on? Yeah. Uh, my number six is uh, Forever by Code Orange. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I love the way that this record is either loved or loathed this is a marmite record if ever yeah, i heard one is, yeah. um the amount of vitriol and hatred that this record has um effectively just for being very critically acclaimed <laughs> more or less um and uh it comes from bands a lot a, a lot of bands who are just like i just don't get what's so um special about what code orange are doing I think I couldn't think of it themselves. <laughs> I think it's the this is sort of the closest um this album's like a horror movie condensed into 35 minutes, you know. It's mm. um the atmosphere that it brews and the sort of dark sonic sculptures and the horrific twisted imagery um it's a horror film played out entirely in sound and, but it isn't the kind that t- attempts to sort of intimidate you with like jump scares or, or gore, but it, but more the kind that sort of manipulates your senses and leaves a deep psychological impact on you, I think. Um, and all this, like, it's easy enough to say that like, oh, it's, easy to just you know be playing a song and then have it suddenly cut you know halfway through the bar and have some ominous like thing come through but had you ever heard that before forever nine inch nails did it a little tiny bit i mean i'm even but even nine inch nails didn't do it in that in that manner Mm. i i don't recall them doing it in like like cutting a song three quarters of the way through a bar or something like that to the point where like there were so many times i remember when i got the stream for this album there were so many times where i i went to start a email to the pr saying i think the version that you've sent me it has become corrupt or something like that i think the files have become corrupt because they're not like this song just suddenly abruptly ends or whatever and you know i i then realized and to the manner that the record ends it just just sort of cuts off and like has this voice come in that feels like it's 
going to take over your soul. Um, and like, it's, I suppose it's quite a simple trick, but most of the best tricks are quite mm. simple. Um, and it's just done incredibly well. Um, they incorporate lots of diverse elements into this album. There's moments of industrial groove metal noise hip-hop grunge and electronica and it's all seamlessly again actually properly hybridized it's not you know here's the electronica bit and here's the hip-hop bit and here's this bit it actually all sounds really seamless um it's snarling and bludgeoning and like kill the creator is an absolute rager in two and a half minutes and sets their modus operandi out with like out with the old and in with the new um as if the bands are sort of intent on killing their idols, you know. Um, but then the mud sounds as if it's it's absolutely terrifying, and is basically tempting to destroy your speakers, you know, as much as possible. Um, and then and then you've got the the songs like "Bleeding in the Blur," which is like Cannibal Corpse covering Alice in Chains. Yeah. You know, or Hurt Goes On, which builds ominously over those dark synths. And that's where the Nine Inch Nails thing really comes in um, and and then bursts into a cataclysmic end that, you know, I think Trent Reznor would have been happy to uh, stamp with the Nine Inch Nails seal of approval. And just the fact that this album has um, everything that has come after it feels in this genre and this field feels like it's been people attempting to do their version of forever and yet none has come along really that has oh has anything got close to it i'm not sure if it has really i mean and certainly nothing's bettered it well i mean uh, let me think about that okay but it's but in terms of trying to do that, I think anything that takes hardcore and just and and I mean I mean hardcore in the broadest sense here, uh, and just totally fucks with it, I'm all for because um, you know hardcore is a genre that that can be very very samey and do the same thing over and over again. And Code Orange did something which felt like it was genuinely different. Yeah. And for that, they will forever okay. be... Uh, I like the way that you're looking at the YouTube, even though <laughs> it's not doing it on YouTube. You're still like, looking over. Forever be immortalised is very good. Yeah. Uh, but yes. All right. We'll talk about that later. Mm. Uh, my number six, now for me, this is a proper comeback record. And it is the best comeback record of the decade. You all think I'm going to say Soul Invictus by Faith No More. But I'm not. I'm going to say The Heart is a Monster by Failure. I knew you were going to say that. Well, yeah, you did. You've got my list. But um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, anyway, um, so I didn't actually... Help yourself to a celebration, by the way, Renfrey. It's obviously the festive season. Continue that. Um, I knew nothing about Failure. They were one of the bands, like much of my embarrassment, from the 90s, who toured with Tool, mates of Tool, and yet I didn't know anything about them. Tool covered like I'm perfect genuinely cir- surprised by perfect that. Perfect yeah. Circle covered them. Yes, the uh, nurse who loved me. Yeah, loved me. Yeah. Mm. And I didn't know anything about them, right? And I got a call from uh, 
Simon, no, Luke Morton when he was at Metal Hammer and he was like, do you want to interview failure? And I said, I guess so. I don't really know who they are. Now, I'd actually been to see American Nightmare a couple of nights before and Alan Day of Sonosphere fame was there and he said, mate, we've got this band Failure playing at the garage. It's their reformation. They've not played for like 15 years or something. Um, I didn't know who they were, but they're Wes Borland from Limp Bizkit's favourite band. They're like Chino Moreno's favourite band. They're Maynard James Keenan's favourite band. They're, they're Hayley, a band's band. They're Hayley Williams from Paramore's favourite band. Yeah. And he's like, you have to listen to them. They're fucking amazing. So I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, I should do that. So when Luke said that, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go and interview them. Can you send me the record? Sent me this over. And straight away, I was like, Oh my shit. How the fuck have I not heard this band before? They are fucking unbelievable. They are... I I, I think they're the most underrated band ever. I mean, especially mm. when you go back to like Fantastic Planet, which is from oh. 1996, which is just this fucking absolute phenomenon of a record it's incredible mm. and this is not that far off it mm. it is a brilliant record as soon as i heard it straight away i was like listen to the tone of those guitars listen to the quality of you know those melodies um his you know uh ken's voice is just it was such uh a, a like how have i missed this mm. how have i missed this you know it's bits of tall and pink floyd and Soundgarden and even Weezer at their darkest. Yeah. You know, like they have the capabilities to write pop sensibilities in the same way that Weezer do. You know, there's nothing particularly new or exciting about this record in terms of like what you were just saying about Code Orange. I've never heard this before. I've heard all this stuff before, but I'm not sure there are many bands who do it with the same amount of class. I think that's the thing with Failure. They are such a classy band. Like every single member of that band are in total command of their instrument, mm. you know, and voice included. You know, I went to see them at the Boston Music Rooms after interviewing them. And they played to probably about 45, 50 people. Not mm. many people at mm. all. Um, it's the best sound I've ever heard at a small venue in my life. You know, in, in, in terms of a, a a small capacity, you know, between kind of a, a 250 to 800 cap venue. That's mm. what you consider mm. a small venue. It's the best sound I've ever heard a band have in a venue that size in my entire life. They sounded perfect they're just about you know they just are a band who who do everything perfectly and this record i mean i could literally go down you know when you go like look at that run of songs look at that look at track one to track four look at yeah. track one to track six i would go look at track one to track 18 <laughs> honestly every single song on this record sounds like a single every single song on this record sounds like it should be you know a an an alternative rock anthem and this isn't even their best album no, i mean the fact not. they followed it up you know the album that, we, they, that they brought out last year that they followed it up with and we were like oh my god yeah it's amazing it's amazing and that got into my top five of last year yeah and i don't think it's anywhere near as good as this and i don't think yeah. this is as good as fantastic planet yeah like they are an unbelievable band i mean i think particularly i want to shout out um counterfeit sky is just if tool had written counterfeit sky people would be it would be it would be winning grammys 
Mm. It's mm. fucking phenomenal. That guitar line. I've ne- There's just so many things where, again, I, you know, I say like I've heard of this stuff before. The way in which it is, it is a similar trick to, to what Tool do, where you go, you know, I've kind of heard people play these bass lines and try and do these like little drum patterns before, but nobody quite does it in the way in which Tool do it. Mm. Failure have that. Yes, I agree. Failure have that, where yeah. it just sounds like them. It sounds like a bunch of other stuff. And it's recognisable as alternative rock in the broadest sense of the word. But they have that thing where you just know it's them. There's a quality to them which is difficult to define. Mm. Um, I always find it quite... To, <laughs> no, I, 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 I mean this as a compliment, but it's always quite irritating talking about failure because I'm always like, is this going to be the time that I can define what that failure quality is and put it into words? And I never manage it. I mm. don't know what it is, but there. But I agree, there is something uniquely failure esque about them. Yeah, I think. Do you know what I think it might be? I think it's that you know they're able to. A lot of people spoke about how Nirvana were Black Sabbath and punk rock and the Beatles just sort of mushed together. Um, And I think that's quite a rudimentary way of looking at Nirvana, but it it, it works well enough. It's a simple equation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think failure are a kind of science fiction version of Pink Floyd and the Beatles. And they don't, and they're not really influenced by punk rock. They're not really influenced by, what was happening in the 90s they were kind of an island untoward themselves mm. but all of those bands from the 90s weezer pearl jam uh soundgarden whoever else you want to throw in there most of them were influenced by either you know in pearl jam's case the who in soundgarden's case led zeppelin and black sabbath in weezer's case probably the beatles and the beach boys but they also were influenced by stuff that was going on at that time. Yeah. I don't think failure are influenced by anything that was happening at that time. Mm. I think they are solely influenced by um, the Beatles, by um, Pink Floyd, by maybe even... Um, oh my God, they've got their, the name of the band going out of my head now. I can just see their album cover. That's mental. What the fuck? With the screaming man, the album, the, uh, the album King Crimson, King Crimson mm. for fuck's sake, yeah, King Crimson. I I think that's the sort of thing that they were influenced by, and I don't think they really paid much attention to what else was going on. But they did it in a way which was sort of they're not looking back and going, "How do we replicate that?" They were going, "What would that sound like today?" Yeah. And even this record, it doesn't sound like a '90s record. It's produced like an album that came out four or five years ago or, or now, do you know what I mean? In this decade, but it's all of those qualities. I just think they, that's what I mean. They're like a science fiction version of those bands. Science fiction is definitely not a bad word to use uh, mm. with them. Cause there is something vaguely. Well, yeah. Fantastic, well, fantastic planet. planet yeah. If you see the, the, the video, the counterfeit sky, it's like a dude walking around on Mars. Right. Um, and I've yeah, they do that. have a kind of science fiction. They do, there's something about them, which, just doesn't really age them do you know what i mean yeah there is a timeless quality to them um they are a fantastic band they're a band that i want to listen to more of i always sort of i admire them but i want to love them in the way that you do but they are brilliant that like i have nothing bad to say about failure at all and this is an incredible i mean there aren't many albums that are 18 songs long and every single song is amazing Mm. there's another one coming up later 
there's another one coming up right now. Oh, right, me, there you actually. go. That's my number six. <laughs> the Heart is a Monster by Failure. You go. So my number five uh, is uh, Yellow and Green by Baroness. A, another album that is 18 songs long and every single song on it is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, this is my only double album in the list. And uh, to, for a double album to get so high up um, is pretty extraordinary, really, mm. because there aren't very many double albums that are of this stunning quality. Um, it's 75 minutes, so as far as double albums go, it's a short double album, but there isn't a single second of fat on it. And considering how expansive and how varied it is, most bands fall short when they try to do very, very, very varied things because they'll, you know, you're, you're trying to do lots of different styles and techniques and bits and pieces and there is inevitably going to be a style where you fall short where you fall flat and i don't think that happens at all with yellow and green mm. um felt like to me that people didn't realize at the time the sheer brilliance of this record because there was so much to unpack and it was such a startling kind of baroness have always made a a, a thing of being totally different with every single record but i think this is the biggest jump they Definitely. have ever ever without had. any shadow of that yeah mm. um the point where you know red album and blue record they were definitely we were having this discussion about our oh, baroness even a metal band anymore yeah. and you were quite defiantly like no i don't think you can say that anymore i mean i think it's debatable but um this is certainly the first album that they released, which was predominantly a rock record as opposed to a metal album. I think I think it's fair to say. I, I think mean, a lot of people called it the Baroness Go Prager at the time, I remember. Yeah. A lot of people said, which seems a bit of... At the time, it made sense. But I think when you look at the three records that have come, or the two records, this and the two that have come post it, I think calling them a sort of prog band seems a bit simplistic. I think... Golden Grey is debatably more of a proggy record than this one, mm. you could argue. Um, but um, yeah, I understand where that comes from. It's because it's it's because of that thing of bringing in so many different kind of elements and coalescing them all together. But um, I can't think of another band who have done that so well as Baroness this, well, in the last 20 years, really. Um I love the psychedelicness. Like they brought this amazing psychedelic element in to this album. Um and the some of the guitar sounds on it, like on some of the solos and some of the um like there's some crazy sounds on uh a track like Little Things or Cocanium or like it, it it's a real sonic tapestry. Like mm. it's really kaleidoscopic in in trying to incorporate different sounds and different elements that are just really alien and weird. And you feel like that they probably spent a very long time tinkering around with sounds in the studio, but it just all sounds brilliant. And the, sh the I mean, you've got bangers on here, if you will, you know, you've got the likes of take, take my bones, bones away. away. Yeah. Probably their biggest, uh, that and shock me are probably the two. Yeah, that they they'd end. The, you'd expect them to end the set with. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I. This is how good I think this record is. I don't. I think "Take My Bones Away" is in the latter half of the record quality wise. Mm -hmm. I think it's 
I, I think it's a very, very good song. But I think it's worth it just for, for my money, sorry to jump in, but for one of the best changes of um, melody in rock music for a long time, that take my bones away, when mm. it goes down an, an octave, or, or like, I mean, John Basie's a better singer than me. Well, the, <laughs> so, but, but, but this you know is, what I mean. This is the thing. This album is full of those amazing moments. I mean, I mean, the transition from Yellow Theme to Take My Bones Away, that is absolutely amazing. It's full of these moments where you're just like, oh my God, that is fucking genius. Mm. And that's on some of the weakest songs on the record. You know, March to the Sea, is a, it, it, it follows up Take My Bones Away. It's an incredible song, yeah, like amazing. a much better song in yeah, my opinion. Exactly, yeah. um, Cocanium, as I've already mentioned. I mean, Eula is the one, isn't it? The song that finishes the yellow part of the record. It's just... Uh, I think it still remains my favourite Baroness Ender, uh, even with um, uh, if you had to stop the rain, the rain, the terrain, rain, rain song, yeah, the rain, the song. rain song. Um, but then also, you know, songs like Stretch Marker, that, that beautiful like acoustic interlude yeah. on Green is just absolutely lovely. Bored up the house, you know. I think Green uh, is often seen as like the album tailing off a little bit, but well, I think that's total nonsense. I think Green is an absolutely phenomenal part of this record. Mm. The Line Between is just a massive, massive tune. Um, it's kind of, I admire, <sighs> bands are so often kind of um, told not to get ideas above their station and told not to be ambitious. And I love the fact that Baroness created the most ambitious album of their career. And I and I, I strongly, firmly think it's their best. And I think as the years go by, because this album, this album was definitely received well, but there was a little, there were some murmurings, particularly from the metal crowd who were just a bit like, oh, where are the riffs and blah, um, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it was at the, in, I remember it was the Thrash Hits album of the year. Right. It was my uh, album of the year. Yeah, it was. I think it got in the top five of the Metal Hammer albums of the year. Okay. It was right up. It might have been the top three, actually. It was right up there. I do remember at the time. And I do remember hearing a few people going, oh, I'm not so keen on them going proggy and blah, 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 blah. I do remember that. But I think for the most part in the press, I think everyone was more than happy with it. Yeah, maybe. I think um, there's a lot. I do hear a lot of people saying stuff like, oh, I just wish they'd go back to the Red album and like... Oh, the Red album's great, but listen to Red Fang then. Yeah, ex- ex- exactly. Like listen to Red Fang or listen to Mastodon. You know, I mean, probably more Red Fang to be honest. But yeah. like, yeah, like if or Kylesa. Like, there's a lot yeah. of bands doing that cool torch. sludgy torch. Yeah, there's a lot of bands who are doing that cool sludgy uh, melodic riff thing. I guess, and there's no one doing what Baroness do now. Mm. And this was the beginning of that. And I think the. Um, I mean, I think I think the records they've done since have both been brilliant. Neither are as good as this, in my opinion. But this is just an incredible statement of we are not going to be pigeonholed and we are not going to be put into the boxes that you want us to be put into. Um, yeah. I, I I adore this album. I've ne- it is it may even be my favorite double album ever. Wow. 
because I was thinking about this on the way here, actually. And I was like, well, what are the other contenders? There's melancholy and the infinite sadness uh-huh. dips towards the end quite, quite massively, actually. Yeah. Um, fragile. Um, I adore, but again, it ha- has peaks and troughs to be totally honest. Uh, the wall. Well, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that someday. I don't dislike the wall. It's fine. The wall. Hardwired to (laughs) self-destruct? The wall definitely has dips and troughs, I would argue. Um, In in a manner that this (laughs) doesn't. You'd better argue it well, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I will. Oh, definitely, I will. Um, Yeah, no, I can't really think of a double album that, that beats this. I, I, I think it is the best double album of all time. Wow. Big. There you go. Yellow and Green by Baroness is Renfrey's number five. All right. Um, I listen to every single record uh, in my top 20. Ever? In my top 30, actually. Oh, I see. Um, and, and more. Uh, except for one. And it's at number five because I've listened to it enough to know that it should be at number five. But I am not able to listen to stage four by Touche more at the moment and if you are a long time listener to our podcast and you're aware of what this record is about then you will probably be able to join those dots pretty easily <laughs> to be honest but uh, just um, for the record I've not been able to I've barely listened to this record at all right okay. since it came out yeah I would suggest for the same reasons that you don't mm. um for a bit um yeah, so the title stage four refers to the fact that this is Touche Moore's fourth record. It's also um refers to uh Jeremy Baum's uh mother's cancer, which uh is the kind of central inspiration for the lyrical content on this record. Um I think I've said this before, I got the record and I was reviewing it for Metal Hammer and I very much liked it as especially someone who was not previously that much of a fan of Touche Moore. Um and as I went to file my review, I felt like something was nagging at me that I didn't get about the album initially. And it wasn't until I went and looked at the press notes that said that's what this record was about that it suddenly made a lot of sense. And that's why you need to read the press notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do, you know, I, you don't always need to read the press notes, trust no. me. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> but um but that's that's why they're good when they are there. And I was like, ah, this makes so much more sense. And I didn't change my number for it. I still gave it eight because, you know, I was just about to, I wasn't going to change it at that point. But in the period that has gone on since then, uh, it spoke to me a hell of a lot to the point where I don't know if I've ever said this on anything actually before, but I interviewed, have I ever spoken about it when I interviewed Jeremy? Don't know. I interviewed Jeremy just before we started this podcast, probably about a month before we started this podcast at 2000 Trees. I was going to do a feature for Metal Hammer, uh, an online thing about bands um, uh, touring with the effects of grief. Because I thought with Reverence by Partway Drive, All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us by Architects, this record as well. Uh, I felt like there seemed to be a lot of records that had come out that touched a lot on the grief that had happened on the road or the aftermath of having to deal with grief on the road. And, I, you know, I wanted to sort of go like, how is it to sing those songs? And I sat in the back of Touche and Moore's tour bus with Jeremy Baum and I spoke to him about how difficult it was to sing the songs from this record. And 
I sort of said to him, you know, like over the last year, I think the record had been out about a year and a bit at this point, maybe more actually. Yeah, because it came out in 2016. So it had been out for maybe just just under two years at this point. So I'd been, I'd been listening to it a lot. And it was a record that I put on. And it would always make me feel very emotional because my mum got cancer when I was 20 and she was in remission from that cancer for, you know, 17 years before it came back. And... Um, and I said, you know, this record has given me like a kind of gift of being able to go, yeah, that's how I felt when I was 20 and I couldn't really deal with my mum being ill. And I can see all of those things, even though this record is so uniquely specific to Jeremy's own individual yeah. um thought processes and feelings and actual situations that he was in. You know, he talks about corridors actual corridors that he walked down he talks about yeah. you know the car that he was driving he talks about things that he was wearing he talks about things that are on the radio in this you know there are so many moments that you th that you would you would imagine on paper it's so personal and it's so specific to that person that no one else would really ever be allowed to be let into that um I think that's a real misnomer, though. And it and it absolutely is, yeah. isn't it? It absolutely yeah. is. And I said, you know, like I, it's made me. It was something where I could kind of go to my mum and go, oh God, I've listened to the record and his mum died, and you know, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, I was such a kind of difficult person to be around when you're 20 and you just don't really know what's going on, and it's hard when when someone's fucking ill like that. So mm -hmm. you you know, you, it's scary. The thought of losing your parents is fucking really scary and um and i basically was sat in a van with him and i just completely broke down and i felt like such a cunt to like break down and cry i was in like bawling tears with and saying i'm really thank you so much thank you to him and he was like is your mum did she pass away and i said no no she's you know obviously this was last year it's like you know she's alive and he was like i'm i'm glad you feel something for it and and you know sort of speaking to him about that I, and so i i found it difficult to listen to just on that level before sort of my mum dying earlier this year uh so i've not i've not been able to go back and listen to it but i've listened to it so much and i feel like it's it, i feel like it gave me it it's, it's given me loads it's really given me like something that was is is quite quite special you know um yeah i mean i'm not sure that there's an album that's that's been able to sort of give you something in your actual personal life that is that profound you know so um yeah i mean lord only knows when i'll be able to go back and listen to it again but uh it's you know it's it's and musically it's fucking brilliant you know they the band give him such a a powerful canvas to to kind of express those things alongside you know the music's really uh really moving and mm. quite diverse as well you know it's it's more than just a punk record it's uh it kind of swerves and moves and and um and careers along in a, in the way that your mind does when you're yeah you're 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 going through these sort of things well that's the thing it is very chaotic the record yeah. and there is a lot of um i found that there was a lot of chaos in my mind um yeah. 
trying to process those sorts of thoughts and those feelings and the the way that this album musically i mean yeah just just putting aside the lyrical content for a moment which is phenomenal but it's sort of obviously phenomenal i think the way that the music expresses that is pretty is very underrated i'd say yeah and i think when you get to the end you get skyscraper at the end and yeah. you hear the voicemail from his mum is like I, that even uh, you don't have to have experienced or have gone through any of that stuff no to feel you know kind of um heartbroken by the end of it i think yeah it's just an unbelievably raw and powerful record and um yeah i mean i hope one day i can listen to it again but i I mean i just haven't been able to face it recently you will be able to yeah you will be able to eventually there you go anyway that's my number five uh touche and more stage four okay um my number four I just realised that I'm going to be talking about my mum quite a lot in this <laughs> one, so, so you know, brace yourself. Uh, my number four is um, Manchester Orchestra, Black Mile to the Surface. Um, Manchester Orchestra were a band who I was sort of aware of, but um, had never really properly checked out. I got sent this album, listened to it, and just immediately went, whoa, this is a phenomenal piece of work um it was their fifth album or sixth album mm. um if you include because they they re they recorded a alternative version of their album cope which was sort of a more chilled out version of it i'd, I'd say it's their sixth album mm. um and uh, andy hull who's the singer songwriter with uh, the band wanted to take them in a new direction he wants to sort of do a Radiohead and assemble what they'd done in the past, then reassemble it into something that was still clearly Manchester Orchestra, but different. Yeah. Um, uh, it was broadly an exercise in doing the exact reverse of whatever came to them naturally. And in doing so, they basically wrote and recorded their best album of their career. Um, it's the mantra for this album was intensity without volume um and that's exactly i think that is an enormously difficult thing to achieve um and and it proved to be so i mean they were working on this record for about a year um and they worked with various different producers in lots of different studios the cat and marks uh, john congleton uh, who we've talked about from the Paper have, Chase, yeah. uh, who also produced um, Yellow and Green. Primarily, this record is uh, this record is about fatherhood and becoming a father and um, being afraid, I think, of becoming a father in terms of there's the initial um, joy of like bringing a bringing someone into the world and then um the fear that you're gonna fuck it all up for them basically um and there's a it opens with this song um the maze uh which is a sort of postmodern lullaby i guess um written from the perspective of his baby daughter um in which she sort of goads him into being a decent father um 
and then it ends with the silence which recounts his deep-rooted fears of passing hereditary habits and traits on to this innocent baby girl that he's just sort of brought into the world um because i think hull sort of had some issues with alcoholism and things like that and there was that sort of um that concern for him and certainly this album came out the year that my mum was diagnosed with vascular dementia and the silence um really uh it was a very very in the same way that stage four gifted something to you it gifted me the means of a cathartic release to try and understand those thoughts and those feelings that maybe one day what was happening to my mother was something that might end up happening to me yeah um because it is it can can be hereditary and it's quite scary to see your someone who you know the person who gave birth to you regress into becoming um a baby again basically um and having to have people do all the things that you'd have to do for a baby and a child and um thinking that maybe one day that might happen to me and is there going to be anyone there to look after me to do that and all those sorts of things um so that spoke to me in a huge 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 way but um the album as a whole even without that is just an absolute masterpiece from beginning to end um whilst it has those themes of fatherhood and being scared about passing things on to someone it also has a conceptual narrative that interweaves its way throughout that personal story Mm. which is about it's a real life neutron science experiment that took place a mile beneath a town called lead in south dakota uh, that was attempting to better understand the nature of matter and the evolution of the universe and these two stories interweave and interwine sometimes within the same song in an almost kind of Stephen King-esque manner. It's like um, there's a lot of sort of um, uh, magic realism in it, you know, so it all feels like a perfectly normal sort of Mike Lee kind of drama thing and then something happens in a grocery store or something which is supernatural and magical and stuff like that. And I have never really encountered uh um album which is at once so personal and yet also so narratively um ambitious you know all at once the album all runs into one another again similar to the Rolo Tomasi album in just this beautiful beautiful way and that thing I said about intensity without volume it really builds this sense of something bubbling under the surface which is about to crack throughout the entire album um and i've just never really heard an album so masterfully put together as this one um and an album that is 
really esoteric in a lot of the things that it says and the way that it expresses them, but also has a profound effect on you as a listener. Um, I mean, some lines in the silence and stuff like little girl, you are cursed by my ancestry, you know, which is sort of esoteric in a sense, but also very open at the same time. Um, yeah, Manchester Orchestra. I, I mean, I've discovered their discography since, and they're a wonderful band. This is the best thing they've ever done, and may may well be the best thing they ever do. Um, but uh, it's sort of difficult to talk about an album that affected me so deeply. But I can't. Um, I, th- I think it's a masterpiece for a number of reasons, and I don't. I, don't, I think you could listen to this and and not see any of the emotional attachment in it and still view it as a sort of Lynchian-esque masterpiece, you know? Mm. Um, but there's just so much to unpack and it feels like I'll be unpacking those things for years and years and years and years and years to come. Mm. Um, it's cinematic. It's really widescreen in its approach. It's just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful album. I absolutely adore it. And I think it deserved a lot more praise than it got at the time. Um, but yeah, if you've not checked out a black mile to the surface by Manchester orchestra, I'd seriously, I'd seriously say you should. Did you get, get around to listen yeah, to this? I did, yeah. yeah. I liked it actually. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get all of that mm. to be mm. fair. Yeah. Um, cause I didn't listen to it until it was on your list and then it was, I was like, this is the thing I know the least about. I should listen to it first. And I did, but I, I, I just thought these are. Yeah, like really cool, interesting songs. Yeah. Quite kind of darkly. Yeah, I, I just felt like this was a really cool kind of um, slow, brooding, dark album. But I didn't get any of the other stuff. So now I, with that information, mm. I would probably go back and listen to it yeah. with that again. You know, but I thought it was good. Like what yeah. I heard about, I thought it was good. I wish I could say more than I just thought it was quite good. No, yeah. it's definitely it's definitely an album that like it will probably need more than one listen. Exactly. Though, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd you 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 know you'd get quite a lot out of it on one listen, but it just continues to give. It, uh, it's been three years since this album was released, and it still gives me more and more and more every single time I listen to it. It's just yeah. it's just an absolutely amazing piece of work. Well, I I would like to think that things would get a bit more uh, upbeat after those last two but unfortunately i don't think they're going to <laughs> okay. because uh, my number four is is raya by oathbreaker and i suppose it will get a bit more it won't get as personally bleak as it, as it has been um for the for the last two i don't think it's going to be quite as upsetting as the, as the last two but uh this is not a happy record by any stretch of the imagination this is an album again it deals with loss it deals with loss of relationship it deals with loss of confidence it deals with loss of um family members um and it deals with it in a fairly brutal way i would say up until linguita ignota came along this is almost the listenable caligula by linguita (laughs) ignota in many ways um in in the even though it's a very very dark record and it is quite a you know an angry and record full of kind of hurt it is still you can listen to it without feeling like you don't ever want to. You don't want to run away from it for the rest of your life. Although this is this would be considered a metal record broadly, whereas Caligula would so, wouldn't yeah. be. Yeah, 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 I would say so. Um, but then saying that, you know, we've spoken a lot about the uh, the advances made by 
um, kind of female singer-songwriter-led artists in the world of metal over the last four or five years, mm-hmm. I think you can, you know, we, we would be remiss to sort of not mention Chelsea Wolfe and Merka and obviously I, I mentioned Linguita Ignota and then obviously Emma Ruth Rundle and Louise Lamont and that whole thing that's been happening there's you know it's been going on and has been great you know it has been really really great uh, for me Oathbreakers Rare is the first time I listened to something of that ilk and really felt like I was hearing something totally different totally completely um unique completely built built on pure femininity without having to um quash any of the sonic heaviness that metal needs for it to work you mm. know this is a very very heavy record blast beats black metal parts you know harsh screaming but then also it never ever feels like it's you know, masculine or bullish or, no. or, or scrimps on, you know, the, the, you know, the, the DNA of this record is that of, uh, of femininity. And I think I mentioned it before when I've spoken about it on various things that, you know, it's got as much to do with Tori Amos and Kate Bush as it has to do with Emperor. Yeah, and um, the dynamics on it yeah, are and, insane, and the the dynamic range of this record is absolutely insane. I mean, even if you if you just listen to the first eight minutes of the record yeah. for ten fifty six into Second Son of Art, and then turned it off, you'd get more from that, I think, than most metal records that have come since. Yeah, uh, it's just a it's a phenomenal record that for me represents a phenomenal amount of growth in an area of metal that had just never really happened before. And to me, this is quality wise, the high point, the high watermark of something which is very, very welcome in, in heavy music. You know, it's been a long, long time. You know, we've, we've, we've banged this drum pretty fucking hard. I think in the, you know year and a half that we've been a podcast but there are you know it's it's the the most exciting new thing in advancement in heavy music that i can remember for a long time you know that kind of meld of actual femininity it feels like you know that 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 felt like the sort of last remaining taboo in metal in a lot of ways do Mm. you know what i mean to actually be sensitive to actually because you've had it with you know, people said, oh, Jonathan Davis and Korn brought in this kind of, you know, frail sensitivity to, to metal. But it was still more way, about yeah. kind of anger, wasn't it? Like yeah. it was more about, you know, I, I've been hurt and I want to get my, you know, this kind of, you know, I don't think the first Korn album is particularly macho, but it's all about like, fuck you and like that kind of like. I'm upset, so go fuck yourself kind of attitude, which I think is quite a male thing to do. Whereas Rare is a record which does just go, you've you've broken me. You've hurt me. You've broken me. I've been, you know, I am over, I am distressed. Mm -hmm. And it never kind of bites back at you. Although Caligula by Ligurio Nota does do that quite, quite violently. But that still feels very, you know, it still feels totally feminine i think but you know um 
it was just something that metals ne- had never had before and there seems to be a lot of it now i think it's great and it, it, it's genuinely interesting and it's genuinely i know people go oh you're a fucking you know incel blah, blah, no it's like you're a fucking snowflake like blah 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 like uh, white, knight, blah, white knight fucking whatever all that bullshit that people like to go to oh you're fucking you know ticking boxes pc bullshit it's like no it's not that it's not that at all this music is genuinely better than the new fucking Children of Bodom album, whatever fucking yeah. crap that you think is 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 interesting in metal, and sorry, it just so happens that the 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 reason for that is the fact that this gender has been and the, this kind of femininity has been not even been quashed in metal. I just don't think anyone even fucking tried it. No, I think I think um, it's weird to think that this thing's been around for fifty years and no one's even really been allowed to try it. Yeah, and I think the women who uh, I think a lot of the women who who were successful in metal had to sort of emulate their yeah. more masculine counterparts. Like L seven at all? You know, yeah, like yeah. Lemmy used to say, "Oh, girl school could drink just as much as a yeah, yeah, could yeah, drink." Yeah. It's like, well, good, but you know, yeah. that's like, hey, they they can play just like guys. Mm. Yeah, uh, but. In terms of that's obviously a, a wider point, but I just think I mean needles in your skin and immortals that kind of seven and a half and nearly nine minute long one two in the middle of the record just frighteningly brilliant. Caro's voice is just scary how great her voice is. I mean it's amazing. I I, I think they the last show they did was at the Scala at the end of two thousand and seventeen and. I know they've obviously they've gone away. This has kind of become a swan song for Oathbreaker. I really failed to see how they could top it, to be honest. It's just unlike, even when taking all that into account, this still feels unlike anything else, this record. Mm. It's totally unique. And um, yeah, like I said, I just think it is the best version of the most interesting thing happening in, in he- to, to happen to heavy music this decade. Mm. Mm. There you go. Excellent. What do you think of it? You're not a keen, are you? I um, agree with everything you're saying, but I've never... Uh, this is one of those records where I agree that it is a phenomenal piece of work, but it's never really... Um, it's never really worked for me. I don't really know why. I think... I was listening listening to you talk there about 1056 and Second Son of R... I think that first sort of eight, ten minutes of the record is so powerful. I'm not sure if it ever fully recovers. Mm. It's ever quite as good as that. I think maybe the tricks are repeated a bit too much on the record. Maybe um, yeah. this is this is me. This is me, by the way, thinking aloud and trying to think. Why do I not like this record in the way that? Because people adore this album, and yeah. I get it. Um, I mean, the year it came out, to give you an idea, wasn't even in my top twenty. Wow. And, um, you know, this whole kind of, um, the, it, it is a record in a scene that I love and, and, and part of music that I am very strongly a strong advocate of. But um, I've just never, f- I remember listening to it and being like, oh yeah, it's a decent Oathbreaker record. And then, and then people just went absolutely crazy about it. I was like, what? I was a bit sort of, Stunned. I don't know if it was because I knew the previous records as well. I mean, I've always maintained that I prefer their previous album, even though I know it's not as 
it is it isn't as good but i prefer their eros mm. antlos or something like that i prefer that record to raya personally that's mental but you know what are you gonna do well, yeah i can't do anything <laughs> you're just gonna have to sit there and take it yeah um if you think that's a controversial opinion um this is going to be probably even more controversial for a lot of people because um i my third uh album of the decade is by brand new who have been officially cancelled you've been cancelled um and science fiction now for those who don't know uh why this is a difficult one um about six to seven weeks after the release of this album i think uh two women came forward with very very serious accusations of uh sexual harassment manipulative behavior and child grooming on the part of brand news jesse lacy um and they i i was i was wondering whether to go into the accusations and stuff here and i've decided you can you can do so yeah i mean it's all out there you can do so on the internet they're not good at all um jesse lacy issued an apology which a lot of people didn't um feel was good enough but when you issue an apology you're kind of you you are whilst they're accusations you're you're admitting guilt aren't you of some kind so yeah dealing with a problematic person let's say probably the most thought i put into this list is do i include this album or not Mm. and at the end of the day i basically decided that this is my personal top 20 it's it's records which are very very personal to us which we've been talking about quite a lot um it's our personal top 20 albums of the decade this is not me going you must go out and purchase all of brand new stuff and merchandise and if one didn't want to do that i would totally understand why not but at the end of the day this album had a massively profound effect on me particularly into the six the six or seven weeks before those accusations came out there was um probably a few months i can't remember exactly how long it was but certainly when it came out i was like i don't know how comfortable i feel about listening to that album again now but i did my love for it is so strong that i did after a few months begin sort of tentatively dipping my toe back into it and kind of fell in love all over it uh fell in love with it all over again so why do i love this well it was it's pretty difficult to remember this now after everything that happened but this was a massively anticipated record yeah, it really was wasn't it on a scale that is not too dissimilar to how anticipated the tall record was um or something along those lines they were, they split up they hadn't split up no what had happened well, they were about to split up after the record cause... what what had happened was it had been 8 years since they'd released Daisy, mm-hmm. which was their uh, fourth studio album. And um, they had started printing these T-shirts and um, uh, making them, selling them, saying with a grave on it and said brand new 2018. So this was in 2017. So it was, or might have even been 2016. So there was this big sort of hoo-ha about... 17. Yeah. So there was this big hoo-ha about, oh, brand new are going to split up. And they're their fifth album this elusive fifth album which people have been talking about for years and years and years is going to be their last record and um a lot of the album is about exactly that about the pressures of making this final statement and this final 
album um and living up to people's expectations um it was actually described as a millstone around jesse lacy's neck which is actually a callback to uh the band's previous material and something that this because they had a song called millstone on uh, the devil and god and um it's something that this album is littered with it's littered with um references to their past and references to uh previous brand new albums and lyrics and so on and so forth and for for a brand new fan it makes it a real kind of really interesting puzzle box of kind of easter eggs and little cool things that you can pick up on um it almost like i mean i i similar to the manchester orchestra album i have listened to this album a lot and i still find new things in it still find new um little nuances and little um things that i maybe maybe even weren't intentional but um i feel like the manner in which brand new put their records together it was kind of similar there's 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 as many kind of conspiracies around brand new records as there are around radiohead records you know how radiohead's fan base get with kind of yeah the sort of uh theories going on around those albums for me it's um the best album that brand new ever released and historically it won't ever be seen as that because of all because of everything that happened around it um but it's the best for me because it's the most scathing and the most vulnerable and perhaps ironically it's the most self-loathing as well um there are therapy sessions that are played throughout the album which were which were culminated i think jesse lacy bought um thousands of hours worth of psychotherapist kind of sessions over ebay and scatters them throughout the album and these are therapy sessions from real people some of which are decades old and it makes the record have this really sort of haunted uh yeah it just it just it feels really haunted by the psychoses of these uh, mentally uh distraught people um and i mean brand new's entire career has been a lot about mental health um but i don't know many people that talk about depression and mental health sort of as vividly as brand new did and i think that's why they were so important to so many people and i think that's also why people felt so furious and so there's plenty in um brand new's back catalog which would suggest that jesse lacy has a bit of an odd relationship with the opposite sex there were lo- there were lots and lots and lots of i don't think that's too big a no, 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 I mean? no 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 i think it's along the lines of i can really relate i feel like i felt like i could really relate to this person because of the lyrics that they are writing and now suddenly i feel like i can't because of the things that they did there is so much subtext to dive into in the album and um so something that i noticed listening to it the other day um the album starts with lots of images of fire and ends with images of drowning and uh water and i'd never noticed before that it's like a flame going out the entire album is a flame going out and Mm. that's exactly what 
this record is about. It's about the fact that they didn't want to do it anymore. They just fucking hated the rigmarole of being in a band and having to tour this stuff and playing for the, I mean, you know, lyrics like I'm strumming with a heavy wrist every night you were tripping out in the morning. You were coming down. If it's breaking your heart, if nothing is fun, don't lose hope. My son, this is the last one, you know, and just sort of that meta quality of, of being like, I do not want to do this anymore. It's sort of weirdly heartbreaking in a strange way. Mm. Um, the only other record that has done this, I think really that I can think of as black star that kind yeah. of knowing that this is the final, um, the final time, the final album, the final, the full stop on a career. And, um, putting everything into it you know there was a reason it took eight years to follow up daisy i think and there are so many nuances and so many things going on on this album so many things to unpack that i think i i i i, I think in in many ways they did create the perfect full stop on their record it just sort of didn't go the way that they expected it to because these things that had happened you know, 12, 13, 14 years previously suddenly emerged due mm. to the Me Too movement coming out. And I, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing that those things emerged. But um, yeah, it's a very odd, it's one of the most kind of weird tales in rock music, really. And, and people feel like they don't, they can't talk about it at the moment. And I kind of understand why. And I'm tiptoeing about it around it lots. And I understand that there might be some kickback about me choosing this record, but it just sort of felt like it would have been uh, dishonest not to put it in because yeah. I listen to it now. I, I've I've now sort of dealt with those feelings myself of like not feeling comfortable with the stuff Jesse Lacey did and, and uh, being able to listen to this album. And I've, I've dealt with that and I can separate the two and I'm okay with that. If other people yeah. aren't, I... Yeah, mate. Totally I think you just that. got. I think you just got to do, like you say, what's right for you. I mean, mm. you know. I mean, certainly, um, Bran, you still have like almost a million monthly listeners on Spotify mm. or something like that. Um, it obviously hasn't affected a lot of people listening to them. Um, I think it's a different case with different. You know, the, there are definitely artists that I would not listen to on certain principles and certain grounds. But I think you just weigh up how much you love something against the crimes that they committed and then you base it it's all personal decision and um i adore this album and i cannot stop i think i i, I think it is an absolute masterpiece and certainly all of the there are there are still reviews like so many reviews saying as much that this album was absolutely incredible and i'm i'm certain that there will be a lot of people who wanted to put it in their albums of the decade lists who will choose not to mm. um and i i really really i almost didn't um because you, you've got to think in a way there's a sort of responsibility do you want to like promote music by people who do that sort of thing you you do though whether you like whether you whether you took this in or out, you do do that anyway. Um, you personally, you do do that. So, as in, as in, you promote music by people who are probably really fucking horrible. Yeah, but then I might not know about it. Is that what you're saying? Well, or? yeah, you probably you might not know about it, but then you also probably do know about some of the stuff. 
we were here sitting talking about the Beatles like a couple of weeks ago. Well, John yeah, Lennon's beating up is a wife beater, like you know. Which which I would. We were sitting here talking about how you know once about like oh the well the early good early Red Hot Chili Pepper stuff is really really good you know mm. Anthony Kiedis has done some fucking abhorrent things in his time mm. you know mm. we mm. Ugh, you you've got to just I don't know you can't go oh I found out about it in while while it was cool to this is what I mean it's like oh I found out about it while there was a, a hashtag about it so that's bad but the other stuff is not bad because I, there wasn't a hashtag at the time I definitely that's the difference I do think that there is an argument to say because this stuff came out very shortly after Me Too became a thing I do wonder if people reacted more strongly than they would have done towards it than mm. they would have done if it had come out a year later or a year earlier. Yeah. I and think it's fine. Like, I don't think it's really made... I mean, it's probably made a fair bit of impact on their career, but I think, like I say... Well, they, they split were, up as a result of it, so... I it, thought they were going to split up anyway. Well, yes, but they um, they had, like, loads of... Tour, like, they cancelled all their tour yes, dates, they and cancel they, can, tours, you know, yeah. like, rather than splitting up a year later and doing it in the manner and way in which they had wanted to mm. put a full stop on it, they just stopped right more or less overnight yeah uh anyway what are we doing <laughs> <laughs> this is about the best album in the decade right yeah fucking hell cheers for picking that that's all right yeah, yeah that'll be good um At anyway Redfrey dead men on twitter uh my number three is one that we've already spoken about or you've already spoken about it's forever by code orange this is my number two very very difficult to know which was two and which was three um and I don't, it's by a hair's breadth. I think maybe the other one was a bit older, so that's kind of why it maybe got there. But this is a genuinely brilliant record, which could have been my number one. Everything you said about it, I absolutely agree with. I remember hearing it and thinking, Code Orange are a hardcore band, you know, and I have spoken about hardcore at length over the many, many years of my life and how like important a scene uh, it was to me, how much I love that music. And I do, you know, I, I, I love straight down the line hardcore do you know what i mean i love mm. just fucking i don't know agnostic front or whoever i love i love that style and i don't think i'll ever stop liking that but at the same time i've always kind of wanted hardcore to progress i feel like maybe in the early 2000s when I was talking to my mate about this the other day, when the sort of the terror generation came along mm. and I was like, I'm sort of done with this now. Mm. And then, you know, there was um, the metal core and all that kind of blew up and some of that's great and some of it's not great. And, you know, hardcore felt like it had sort of just become a thing that we all knew what it was. Um, and we all knew the boundaries. And yeah, we all knew, we all knew the boundaries. We all knew what the rules were. And then along come Code Orange and just decimate everything. Completely smash all of those boundaries to pieces and rebuild it in their own way. And you are right. Nobody, like we've seen a bunch of bands get big off the back of Code Orange. Yeah. Um, and we've seen the profile of Hardcore has definitely risen, I think, due to this record. I'm still not quite sure why this doesn't get the credit. Like people are now talking about that knock loose record. Yeah, come on. It's pretty it's pretty good, the knock loose record. Mm. It's good. it's a good hardcore record. But this is the catalyst, surely, for why all of these bands, Vane, Knock Loose, like whatever big kind of hardcore band you want to mention at the moment that are getting all the hype, Jesus Peace, you know, whoever, 
Like, this is surely the reason why people are paying attention to Harcourt at all. You know, Grammy-nominated, Billboard in Times Square, touring with Slipknot, touring with System of a Down, touring with Trivium, um, playing massive fucking festival stages, and taking Harcourt and manipulating it into, like you say, horror movie is exactly that. This is a, a fucking frightening record. It is a rabid record, but it's also one that uses melody and restraint and different song um, structures and different genres and takes, you know, from Madball and from Terror or whoever, you know, straight ahead hardcore bands, but also probably has more in common with early Slipknot, Typo Negative, yeah. Life of Agony, yeah. um, Nine Inch Nails, um, you know, is Faith No More even at, at points. Like, you know, they are a band whose boundaries are just non-existent. And yet they still, like we said earlier about Blood Command, what is this if you distilled it down to the base level? They are a hardcore band, Code yeah. Orange. yeah. Yeah. They are a hardcore band, and I don't think there's ever been a hardcore album made that sounds like this. Because, no, oh, you know, there's been metal albums, there's been bands who have touched on hardcore a bit, who have kind of transitioned into metal. You think of, like, what Bad Brains or what um, uh, uh, like Agnostic Front did, where they kind of, that crossover thing, like Suicide Tendencies. Those bands did crossover, you know, they're, they're a crossover bands, and they're sort of, you know, examples of hardcore bands that co-opted into other scenes the members of typo negative did it from carnivore into typo i think i think typo negative are such a great kind of comparative counterpoint for what code orange are doing even though on paper you know you wouldn't necessarily obviously think it straight away mm. i think because code orange are so fucking wild and disinterested in playing the game and i think typo negative were as well typo negative just took it in a very different direction it's kind of dark you know gothic it's quite sarcastic um the way that they went but again typo are a band who would cut a song halfway through a riff or would play jokes on their audience or just fucked with you know and, and they had a really clear mm. vision of what who they were and what they wanted everything to look like you know and code orange are the same they have a really stylized way like their merch from their merch to the way they dress to the way they present themselves to the way their album covers look they have thought about every tiny little intimate detail of not just their music but of them as a band and as a kind of like i hate to be kind of wanky industry guy but as a brand like they have thought about all of those things and this record is kind of the, the culmination of a band with just as much ambition as any band I can think of for this decade. If you're talking about which band has had the most ambition this decade, it's Ghost and Code Orange. They're the two that mm. have gone, who wants it the most? Mm. And I think it's so weird to see... I mean, Ghost are getting a bit of backlash now. Now they're in, in arenas. or They're getting quite a lot of backlash now. Um, they're in arenas um, from stupid people who've only just heard of them. And I saw someone call them a, a boy band the other day. I can't take this band seriously. They're a boy band. They're not a metal band, they're a boy band. It's like, yeah, most boy bands start by, you know, playing all day as at the underworld on stone all day as you fucking idiot. You know, most boy <laughs> bands like were in liturgy. Like, come yeah. on. Um, but it's the same with Code Orange. It's like, you know, just saying like, oh, it just sounds like Slipknot. 
well, you've just proven how little you know about yeah. heavy music's yeah. culture by saying this just sounds like Slipknot. Mm. If that's your comparative point, clearly you you just don't know very much about music. Like, not to be a kind of snobby dick about it, but mm. if if you had better comparative, you know, bands to to actually compare them to, maybe you wouldn't be making such trite comparisons. Yeah. But you are. Yeah. Um. So you know, it's there. The Slipknot thing's there, but it's to, there a to say, bit. but to say it's that and only that is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I think you know them being on Roadrunner is the perfect thing for them because they remind me so much of Roadrunner at its most ex- the most exciting period Roadrunner ever had. When Roadrunner was signing Sepultura and Life of Agony and Machine Head, and they had Type of Negative and they had Biohazard and they had Fear Factory. That period where kind of just pre Slipknot and just pre New Metal coming out, there was a really really exciting period when Roadrunner Records was. Just just like the best record label in the world and code orange have taken all of that stuff they've got a base of hardcore got cutting edge electronics they want to work with rappers they want to go on tour with rappers they want to go on tour with the big bands they're not fucking scared of anyone and this record it just screams like all of that you know it just it just says we'll go toe-to-toe with the biggest bands like you know i speak to jamie a little you know a fair bit now and again not to name drop too much but 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 i do and he is just utterly fucking fearless yeah this record is fearless like i don't think i don't think 99 percent of hardcore bands ever would have even had the guts to think about trying to make the leap that forever makes let alone get it as right as this Mm. it's a Mm. fucking it's a you know it's an absolute masterpiece this record and from what i understand the new one's going to be even better We'll see. Uh, but yeah, that's my number three, Forever by Code Orange. Lovely stuff. Uh, my number two, sticking in a similar wheelhouse, I suppose, although maybe the opposite end of the spectrum, I don't know. Uh, my number two is Fake History by Let Live. Um, this album, oh my God. I've talked about um, how massive a Glassjaw fan I am in the past. Um, I absolutely adore Glassjaw um, and... Back when I was, I don't know, 16, 17, I had everything you ever wanted to know about silence and worship and tribute. And I was searching. I, I was desperately talking to all my friends who knew anything about heavy music and was just like, you know, this band Glassjaw, do you know any other bands who sound like Glassjaw? Because I, I, I've got these two records and that's all they have. And I need more. I need more of this kind of thing. Mm um and you know i would get suggestions like finch <sighs> that was a massive disappointment or uh, <laughs> or you know i don't fucking know like so, some bands that were suggested to me were really good actually but they weren't glass jaw no. they weren't you know that they weren't what i was looking for and i couldn't really define exactly what it was um that i that i wanted or what i saw in glass jaw's music but I wasn't getting it. And then what, 10 years later, Let Live released the the album I've been waiting for since 2002, basically. Um, I think it is reductive to call this an amazing last year album, although that's my starting point mm-hmm. because this is the album, the third last year album should have been. Um, and, uh, but it is just that amazing amalgam of kind of it's post hardcore at its best when it um, 
takes that sort of chaotic about to fall apart at any moment uh thing which i think let live kind of lost on their subsequent records if i'm honest and um throws in really experimental ideas and interesting edges of hip-hop and jazz and all these different parts that make it sound totally unique and totally different to anything else i think i think if you put uh let live next to a bear tooth for example bear tooth are kind of like the clean less dangerous version when i listen to bear tooth i'm not hearing a band who sound Beartooth like have anywhere near the level of ambition that let live not, nope. not just ability but again it comes down to ambition i think i agree it comes down to ambition and, and, and what you've been exposed to musically and jason and the members of that band have clearly been exposed to more than just hardcore and a bit of pop yes i agree i'm merely making the comparison because i think it's the sort of comparison that a lot of very yeah. lazy journalists mm. would make and go oh because they can't be there there is no decent comparison to be made exactly that's exactly it and that's why let live are were better than the rest there just isn't a decent comparison to be made mm. bar maybe glassjaw can i jump in here very quickly and say my number two is actually the blackest beautiful yeah okay live. do you want to do these together so then we can kind of compartmentalize yeah, this into, let's do into that. one thing let's do you've that you've picked um uh fake, fake history, history yeah. as it is I think that's the most glass jewelry record of the three, like Let Live albums Definitely. from this decade. I'm not yeah. going to count the first one because it's not really that great. But there's that three, that run of three. I think all of which are brilliant. Yes, right. Um, I think all of which would probably would be a nine stroke ten. Yes, and Fake History certainly for me. It took me a few listens before I could get over the fact that it was just. Didn't it sound like glass jewelry? It really sounds like glass jewelry. But once you do get past that and you see the extra other stuff that they have um yeah i was just so sold on it and particularly seeing it live uh at download in 2010 i want to say when jason ran through the crowd and jumped over the barrier and got pulled off by the security uh yeah i heard about that it wasn't there were you at the old blue last show uh yes i was no 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 sorry i was at the was that the old blue last show no i was at the kingston fighting cox oh fighting cox yeah yeah yeah. I, i i mean let live were one of the few bands because of this record were one of the few bands who when they'd come to the uk i would follow them around Mm. to to you know so i've seen them in i saw them at the fleece in bristol and i've seen them in kingston and london in fact i believe renfrey was the first time you and i met it was yes was at the uh let live fighting cox yes 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 it was indeed um and um yeah um it, it was just everything i'd been waiting for and jason is just this phenomenal vocalist who who just does uh, i mean he just has so much personality compared to anyone else and he just puts it all out there he, we've talked about how we basically both think he's pretty much the best front man of the so, yeah. of the decade and i think you know i don't think fever 333 has quashed that personally no. i mean you know as i say live they are still an amazing live band fever 333 you know whether you like the record or not um and yeah this album just had everything that i wanted it to have um do you want me to talk about why i chose it over black is beautiful and then yeah. you can and then you can go on to black is beautiful so um black is beautiful is an amazing record michael jackson meets black flag 
um, was the big thing that was said a lot at the time. Uh, I was one of those people who had an issue with the production. Mm. Um, it's really, really, um, it's really bassy. It's so bassy. Love that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, some people loved it and, and they were very, very adamant that they were like, we did that on purpose. You know, we wanted that. It's, it sounded like a more kind of modern hip hop production or even a modern pop production. Yeah. I mean, actually, I mean, I, I, I from the second I heard it, mm. I was like this. It was just something else that made them stand out from the other hardcore bands. Yeah. Because they had already done that with fake history. And by the time, you know, like, I mean, I'm sure you're talking about individual songs, but particularly, you know, Mother. But, uh, uh, is on, their on fake history is maybe still the best it's their best song. Uh, yeah their best song it's their best song. um uh fucking incredible and i love fake history but when this came along i reviewed it for metal hammer and i said this is like i mean black flag meets michael jackson i think was something that got said a lot i think i called it stacks era soul crossed with minor threat crossed with old dirty bastard right in, in my review for metal hammer and if sometimes within the space of the single song yeah and um uh, and and I just think actually, you know, that on Banshee Ghost Fame when that boom, 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 when that came in, I was like, wow, this sounds like this doesn't sound like a punk band. This sounds like Public Enemy. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it had yeah, the yeah. same. This is like Phil fucking fucking Phil Spector has produced yeah, this. Yeah, this is like an absolute wall of sound. It was like it was like the difference between. I don't know if you've ever listened to the demos of um definitely maybe but when they brought in owen oh. morris is it the the welsh producer who did definitely maybe he said owen he, morris i can't remember I if it is yeah. i think it might be yeah but but anyway they had a real problem oasis getting the same sound live as they did for the studio mm. and i don't really think let live had that on fake history i think it still sounded really good but it did as you say it sounded like glass joy it sounded like it was produced like a punk album i think when the black is beautiful came along uh to me the, i think the songs overall are better on, on the black this, is beautiful on the black is beautiful mm. i think the songs overall are better i think when you get a song like pheromone cult you know, the dope beat, mm. um, younger, Virgin Dirt, like White America's uh, Beautiful Black Market. Like those songs are as great as, you know, um, all the songs on Fake History are. And, you know, Mother, probably none of them are as good as Mother, but that's just one song. Mm. Um, uh, but I was just like, my God, this this has got that same thing. It's like when Oasis put that wall of guitars on definitely maybe that's kind of what turned made that album work mm. like, you know they actually sent that album back backwards and forth a few times yeah and and i felt that's kind of what let live had done on the black is beautiful it's like this now sounds like you say like a hip-hop record it's like a hip-hop record with guitars and it's not a hip-hop record with in the, in the sense that it sounds manufactured or electronic or you know molly coddled or synthetic it just sounded like a, you know, like a, an old school booming. It's got the same kind of production as like Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. Yeah. And I fucking loved that because it just was something else that set them so far apart from everybody else. It definitely, look, I, I definitely prefer the fact that they went down the Black It's Beautiful di direction rather than making, you know, Fake History Part 2. Mm. Um, I think the... I think probably another way to put it with the production for me with Black is Beautiful is rather than there being too much bass, it's like there's just not enough 
treble. Like obviously, if you're producing a record, you, what you want to do is fill out the high notes, the middle, and the low end. And Blackest Beautiful feels very, very low end mm. all the way through. Um, and I just always struggled with that. And I felt I, I think the songs are brilliant. Um, I'm not sure if I quite agree that I prefer them overall to the songs on Fake History, but you know, Pheromone Cult, for example, and and Virgin Dirt, and I agree with most of those. I've never been a big fan of Younger, to be honest. Uh, that's a single. I mean, that's one of the yeah. ones for me that sounds more like a a Fake History cut than a, a Black is Beautiful cut, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, something like the Dope Beat just doesn't. There's nothing. Oh, yeah, that sounds like the Dope amazing. Beat on on um on Fake History. I mean, I'm actually looking at the track listing for Fake History, getting it up now, and yeah. I mean, there's some fucking bangers on it. Homeless, Homeless Jazz. Jazz. Fucking great, isn't it? Yes, please. Um, and that opening, the prologue, the 666.8 billion. 6.8 billion. Yeah. 86, Enemies and Amigos, Casino, Columbus, Mother, Homeless Jazz. As an opening seven. It's a good oh, run, it's yeah. It's a great incredible. run. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, um, I, I think I think um, the only other thing, I'm, you know, all these things I'm saying about The Black is Beautiful, I do think The Black is Beautiful is a phenomenal album. For me, it would be a nine. Um but uh, I that that sense of it being chaotic and it could fall apart any moment um, was lessened for me on the Black is Beautiful oh, than really? on Fake History. Yes, I felt like Fake History felt more chaotic overall. Um, but no, look, Black is Beautiful is a, a phenomenal follow up, and and it's probably exactly what they should have done. It's it's my least favorite of the three. Um, I think they're all amazing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, I agree. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I mean, I I have nothing bad really to say about Fake History. I have nothing bad really to say about. Um, oh my god, I can't remember what's called. The devil. Um, sorry. If the devil. If the devil. Yeah, uh, I have nothing bad to say about that either. To be no. honest, I just think the blackest beautiful is. I think it's a hilarious one. It's a it's a sort of like ah, it feels like I say that old dirty bastard that hip hop swagger. Yeah, maybe. Um, it's the I think I said this before. Like they're all three of them are punk records. Um, if I'm the devil, feels like the soul like kind yeah. of like the swing the soul record and. Um. Uh, fake history kind of feels like the the jazz the yeah. the jazz record the jazz um punk record whereas black is beautiful feels like the hip-hop punk record yeah yeah, yeah. And the I fact that they've true. made those three albums and you know you can make that level of distinction between the three of them mm. is is why they're arguably the best band of the decade yeah 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 exactly yeah uh, no, I agree. And and how many bands do that within broadly hardcore music? You know, mm. not very many. I mean, I think if we were to do, if there were no boundaries at all, and we could pick multiple albums from bands, I think Let Live would be one of only maybe three. Uh, maybe Dillinger and Deftones would get another album in, but Let Live would be the only would be the only band guaranteed to get at least two records in this top 20 and they might yes. even get three yes 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 quite possibly mm. i think i'd probably agree with that um yeah just a phenomenal phenomenal band really mm. um um oh do, my only there's two songs on black is beautiful which i'm not mega keen on um there's one and a half songs i'm not mega keen on um as i say younger i just think is a um yeah it sounds like a fake history b-side and um 
Uh, I don't like the last part of 27 Club. It never gelled really? with me. I, I, I wanted it to, but it I, never did. I knew you were going to say that because yeah. I can't imagine why anyone would have a problem with it with anything else in the record. So I thought there's bound to be that kind of weird spoken word yeah. fizzle out. Um, I can see why you wouldn't like it. I the, actually the first find... the first three minutes of Twenty Seven Club are phenomenal. Yeah, I, I, one of the best songs on the record. But the that I I I always when I first heard it, I was like, okay, that's a minor blip, but you know, I'll I'll grow to love it. I'm sure. And I and it's been what five six years now, and I still haven't. I mm. still wince a little bit when that bit comes on. Yeah, see, I don't mind it. I think Jason's just that that feels it feels really live to me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It feels like they've just kept the tape rolling and that's what's come out. And I kind of I like, I like the fact that it's, that they felt free enough to just go, we'll just keep that in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just keep going, just keep going. And that they, they, they kept that in. And yeah, it's probably not the most profound thing, but I like how it kind of fizzles out. And it just, it's another thing that made Let Live feel realer and rawer yeah. and just more, you know, kind of authentic than, than everybody else. So I, I actually, I actually, I wouldn't even say I tolerate it. I like it. I don't disagree with those things. I just think that they did that real Aurora thing better on other. Yeah, maybe, but you know, it's, um, it's there to be clear. I'm being really picky about Mm. albums that I think are phenomenal. So, you know, they're a great band. Yeah. A great band. band. So number two for both of us is let live. I've gone for black is beautiful. You've gone for fake history. I have indeed. My number one. (laughs) Them. Number one, Renfrey, the single best album of the last, well, nine years for you, not ten years, <laughs> but of, and not even the last nine years, the last nine years before this year. <laughs> I think this is probably my album, of the my favourite album of the last ten years, if that makes okay. me feel any better. Yeah, it does. Um, Go for it. This is very on brand for me. Good. Uh, this is a beautiful album that um one of the songs uh was played at my mum's funeral um i told one of my ex-girlfriends that i loved them to this album um it has soundtracked many 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 parts of my life which have been either very very difficult or very very wonderful or whatever um it's caspian dust and disquiet um good record it's a great record. Uh, it's music that feels like it's been meticulously and painstakingly crafted where not a single note has gone to waste, in my opinion. Um, you know those songs that you get where you listen to it and you just go, this is perfect. I wouldn't change a single note. Mm. This album, to me, feels perfect. I wouldn't change a single note. Every single moment of it Um moves my soul it it is so it is such a beautiful moving record um broadly instrumental album although there are some vocals on it um towards the middle um but it's it's very 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 diverse it sort of starts very very quietly and builds very very slowly into a sort of almost country and western tinge track with separation number two which is just heartachingly beautiful and there's a you know there's this classic thing with post-rock bands building and crescendo core it's sort of been um labeled lazily 
And yeah, that is a thing in post-rock and Caspian do do it, but they do it with so much more class and so much more style than anyone else. It's not just about jumping on pedals, distortion pedals to make something louder. It's about adding layers upon layers upon layers and, you know, maybe taking a part that was played three minutes ago and then playing it an octave higher, but a part that was so small in the mix beforehand and then it becomes the prominent part of the song or it's done in a manner which is far more far ahead of most of their peers. Um, These songs seem to build to an absolutely cataclysmic, phenomenal, euphoric end and then they continue for another three minutes and continue to build even more <laughs> with even more patterns and even more intricate um, things happening and melodies interlacing and different string sections coming in or brass parts coming in. Um, it's, as I said, it's a really emotional album and that's quite a difficult thing to achieve um, with instrumental. Well, I don't know if it's a difficult thing to to achieve, but because you're not given sort of um, uh, a, a, a lyric to hold on to, to know exactly what a song about is about, it's open to interpretation, but you kind of know that this is about something very, very deeply sad. And it's effectively uh, an ode to their bassist who passed away in 2013. Um, or a lot of it is anyway. And you can kind of feel that sense of tragedy and grief and loss Um, and the indelible mark that he left on the band and it's impossible not to see that stark trace of a tragedy in this record I think Mm. Um, it it but it transcends personal grief and it becomes about sort of it becomes I mean the reason I used I used it at my mum's funeral was because it, it felt like a record which was about moving on from grief and um being just just coming to terms with it i suppose um it's being forever marked by loss but not defined by it i suppose and um it's a real maturation of those quiet loud dynamics that caspian had been exploring ever since their debut ep um and those dynamics extend beyond just turning the volume up and are just it's it's explorations of light and shade or or dry and wet or tired and awake they just seem to kind of um utilize so many different forms and it's just an absolutely beautiful record that I, i still obviously can't put into words because <laughs> I'm trying very, very hard to say what what an emotional roller coaster this album is to me. And I just think it is one of the most perfectly crafted, stunning pieces of music I've ever heard in my life. I can't think of an album that I've heard where every single note that follows the previous note is the exact note I want to hear. <laughs> you know and it is down to those details it's the the most finely tuned points every single second of this album is vital to the creation of it 
I don't think Caspian will ever better this album realistically uh, because it does feel like one of those complete masterworks and they're about to release a new album mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's taking them five years to follow this up and I can kind of see why it's an absolute monumental piece of work. Um, Always daunting to have to follow an album that's been so, you know, well received. So kind of obviously so much painstaking effort has gone into so yeah. much of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether it be uh, uh, the, the Satanist we had, didn't we? Having yeah. To follow that up. I think it was one that we all said like, well, imagine having to try and follow that up. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. And it it goes to so many different places. There's songs which sound like Takira Cigarose on here. There's that country and western stuff, as I said. It gets really heavy. Like, it can sound really heavy, this album. But then, as I said, you've got these beautiful string sections and brass sections and the way that they all interweave and correlate with one another. When I wang on about how amazing and emotional and powerful post-rock is bit can be, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. If If you only listen, if you switch off a little bit when i wang on about instrumental music or whatever if you just listen to one record let it be this because if you don't get this then it's not for you (laughs) i would imagine Mm. but this quite beautifully showcases the dynamics and the places the epicness the widescreen um nature of where this music can go and how powerful it can be, I think, by not leading you by the hand, you know, um, and by allowing you to use your imagination a little bit. Um, it's just a it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of work. Everything about it is wonderful. When I think of the cover, I get, I become happy. Just just thinking of the cover, like, lifts my spirits. It's an incredible piece of work. There you go. Number one, Dusk and Disquiet by Caspian. That is Renfrey's favourite record of the entire decade, apart from 2019. <laughs> um, no, and 2019 as well. <laughs> How hard was it to pick that as, at number one? Uh, really, really, really hard. Was it? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it was hard. Right. The Yeah, it was hard. <laughs> it's funny because... We said how agonising this was, this process, picking the top 20 albums of the decade. Most of the places on my list were very, very difficult to position. Number one was the easiest pick of all of them. This better be where you apologise to Weezer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, People probably know what this is going to be. I didn't. Okay. Um, Dose Your Dreams by Fucked Up. I think I've probably mentioned it on this show before. Yeah, we can stop it there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to go back because obviously I didn't say this in the review and I probably, and I didn't say it in when I gave it my album of the year, but I'm going to tell you exactly when I first listened to this record because I feel like that context has probably had a lot to do with... I'll talk about why it's a great record as well, but I think the, the context of this record um, is maybe sheds a little bit of light on why I'm, I like it so much. Um, so at this... The first time I put this on, um, at the time, I had split up with my ex-wife, but I was still living in the house that we shared together. 
and Renfrey was coming over when I was. We were either doing it at my work, weren't we? The podcast, or mm -hmm. we were doing it at my house. Yep. Um, if no one was in, so I'd have a week on, and then I'd have a week where I was, you know, waiting for the fucking lease to run out on on that house before I could actually get out. We did this one at your house. I remember this. Yeah, yeah and I we did really we, vividly. Yeah, and we did this at my house, and I had been sort of split up for we basically we had split up but we're still having to sort of share this house for a little while and you and I, your ex-wife that's not not yeah, me and you not me and you we're still very much together <laughs> we're very happily in love um <laughs> uh, and um and uh it was probably a couple of weeks after i mean i don't know if people do know something but just after or, or uh, we sort of split up my best friend died as well so i was pretty fucking having a bad time at this this point last year and i was sat at home in knowing that we had to do the podcast like two days later and i was sat at home listening and i knew what we were going to be reviewing fucked up and i think as i said before i don't have much of a relationship with fucked up i'm not a fan i don't hate them i had the the chemistry of common life uh, i thought it was all right but i'd never been a fan of them I, they weren't the sort of band that I would rush out and go and listen to and i had a rare moment of positivity like having all that shit having had happened to me i think i just signed a lease on this place i'm in now where we're sitting right now in my flat and i knew i had like three weeks before three or four weeks before i could move in so it felt like things were sort of had got to the rock bottom and were just starting to come up and i heard this record and at first i didn't really pay that much attention to it i think i was doing something for hammer i was re researching something i was just looking on twitter but it was on in the background and i wasn't really properly listening to it but i found myself being kind of quite surprised that it started with a sort of quite a nice sweet piano part and then just exploded mm -hmm. and then i was like oh that's interesting and then as i sort of went about my day and i sort of went about the stuff that i was doing cooking cleaning up like just alone the more i felt sort of energized by this record and the more it kept grabbing me and i was like oh my god to the point where when it ended and i knew we still had three or four other albums to review um i was like no no i have to give that another listen i have to actually sit down and listen to it so i sat down and listened to it and i was like my god this is brilliant and then i went upstairs and went to bed and i put it on in bed and i listened to it four times in the first day of having it right so quite a long record as well and it's hour and a half it's 82 minutes and 15 seconds there we go so getting home at six o'clock and putting it straight on so half seven and then again half eight half nine going to bed at nine o'clock nine ten, like and then i think i put it on again i probably didn't get all the way through the fourth time around but i listened to it again so you're talking like i just that's all i did that first evening and by the end of it that, that sort of third fourth listen i just thought I, I i just felt so much better for the first time in fucking weeks months whatever i felt good I actually felt positive and I felt energized and I felt excited about something. And it was this record that I felt excited about. So when I gave it that slathering, oh my God, this is an incredible review. As much as I will, uh, will talk in a moment about exactly why this is such a great record, because it is, it, that context would not be enough to get it to number one. It's number one because it is the best record. 
But I do think that that context plays a, a part in why I love this record so much. It came along, I mean, we said it a bunch of times to this, you know, sometimes the right album comes along at the right, right time. time yeah. And sometimes they can be records that are quite make you sort of reflect on things. And sometimes they can just be records that go fucking pull yourself up by your boots and just mm. feel good about yourself, mm. you know? And this record did that. It made me go, go to work tomorrow and do the podcast and actually feel fucking positive about something. Go like, wow, I've discovered this record. It's fucking great. And mm. I love it. Mm. Um, it's a, and it is a concept album about somebody who is sick of their fucking life and goes, I'm going to do so, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be more than, this shitty existence that I have. That's basically the the story of this record. It starts as that. And I was listening to it like, yeah, I can sort of, I can I can totally relate to that at the moment. And then he goes off into this other fucking fantasy world, which obviously I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But, um, but it just, you know, it, it, it spoke to a normal, about a normal person to a normal person who goes and does something that actually makes that actually satisfies them that actually gives them some sort of sense of purpose in life and i think i probably really needed that at that time mm. and um but that all be, that being said it's just such a fucking brilliant record i think i said when we reviewed it at the time it's everything that i ever wanted music to be you know to me it's it's the wall crossed with the bronx yeah yeah, like, yeah. you know well, it is it, it's much. a punk rock record that is <laughs> you know that is this uh, conceptual psychedelic fucking freak out as well you know mm. it borrows from tommy and the wall and sergeant peppers and screamer delica and shoegaze and the rocky horror picture show and all of this stuff and it doesn't seem to give a flying fuck about what type of music it is currently playing mm. It would be, you know, I mean, the title track is, it's got this kind of dub bass line, which is incredible. Um, Living in Simulation has got this brass section, which is incredible. Um, the One I Want Will Come For Me could have been lifted from a Doves album or mm. a, an Elbow album or, and but, you know, but done really, really like a kind of ethereal indie record. It's like folky. Um, Joy Stops Time is this kind of crazy Bjork-esque, seven-minute-long, trippy, fucking crazy album closer. Um, Mechanical Bull is as heavy as any song that we have spoken about on this entire podcast. Yeah. And, and all of it is done to follow this story, which you, you know, I think I said again, I said at the time, you can follow the story through. You don't need to read what it's about. You actually, as a piece of work, it feels like theatre. They've created an actual world. Fucked yeah. up have actually created an actual world. And they've done it with hardcore punk and rock and roll and shoegaze and electronic music and thrash <laughs> and psychedelica and all of these things. And it, it shouldn't work. It shouldn't work, but it is so beautifully, wonderfully cohesive. 82 minutes, 15 seconds. When I see that, I go, how? How is it 82? It feels like it's about 20 minutes long. 
Like it's mad. Mm. And they get so much in. I mean, you know, some of the songs you go, well, that feels like it's 20 minutes long because so much has happened. Yeah, yeah. The album itself also feels like it's 20 minutes long. It is a fucking Willy Wonka's chocolate factory of wonderment. I don't know how they've done this. I also do not understand how I, I feel like I'm the only person on earth who feels like this about this record. I think you might be. And I, and I, I, <laughs> t- like, if we did our, t- our top 10 best albums ever, I think this would be in it. That's how right. good this record is. I mean, this was a no-brainer for me. Even mm. of all these records that I've spoken about for this entire decade, there was only ever going to be one thing that was number one. Mm. I just think it is, even on an analytical level, it is so much better than anything else. Because it's just, you know, all the things that we talk about, about being instantaneous, but being, um, you know, uh, uh, like wide in scope of the type of music that you want to make and being inclusive. And, you know, do you know what it is? Like, we were talking about Back to the Future, why Back to the Future is my favourite film the other week, right? Absolutely. And, And one of the things I said was the greatest trick that Back to the Future pulls is that it, it is completely inclusive. It's a family film and it's really, really easy to follow. But some of those timeline structure narrative parts are very, very complex ideas. Yes. Now, when you look at a band like the Beatles, I think probably to me the most impressive trick you can pull in music is the reason the Beatles, the Beatles are the most lauded band in the history of popular music without question, right? Um, and they're lauded because... They take, especially in the sort of second half of their career, they take very, very difficult, very complex ideas and they make them simple. simple. They make them so simple and so relatable that everybody loves them. So people listen to the White Album and they listen to the Magical Mystery Tour and they listen to Sgt. Peppers and they listen to, you know, Abbey Road and they go, oh, yeah, Yeah. I get all those songs. Those songs are not simple songs. They're not easy. They give the illusion that they are easy, but they're actually not. This record, it just feels like I don't understand why you wouldn't want to sing along to most of these songs. Yet they are, by their very nature and by the the sort of the sprawling, complex narrative nature of this, like this fucking you know this this album, this concept album. It's incredibly difficult, but I listen to it and I just go living in a simulation. <laughs> and I don't know how you do that. I think the thing that when, when I re- we reviewed it back in like when we first reviewed it, and I went, "Why can't you like the Pet Shop Boys and converge as much as each other? Why can't you love decadent, weird, overblown, um, crazy sort of glamorous stuff that's done brilliantly?" But also like the dirt, the kind of the gritty, nasty, gnarly dirt. Like, why can't you like those things? There's yeah. no reason why you can't. And yeah. when you mash them together, and, and and this comes out, I mean, fuck me. Yeah. No one's. I don't. I can't think of anyone else who's even tried to do that. I was about to say, I don't. I don't know anyone who's tried to do it either. And and I think that is that makes it a phenomenal like. It is it is a brilliant, brilliant album. And I, I always feel like I just sort of come in behind you and go, yeah, it's very good. Because uh, I don't feel quite as passionately about it as you do. But I, but every time you talk about it, I am like, yeah, fair enough. No one's ever tried to do this. And, and, and they have done it and put it together in a really 
incredibly like you know i i think i think in terms of um i think in terms of the ability of how well it's put together it is equal to the wall for example mm. you know and people would balk at that because you're not allowed to diss anything that came out in the 60s or 70s it seems but you know it, it is as well put together as competently put together as those classic classic double albums mm. i i mean yeah it's definitely better than tommy it's better than the wall. Oh, it might be better at this point. I'm like, it might be better. This might end up being my favorite album ever because it's only it only came out in came out last year. Well, it came out last year. It came out on the fifth of October, two thousand eighteen. Mm. So it's only been a record for uh, that we've been able to hear for for like fourteen months. Yeah, and I'm already like it's comfortably the best album of the decade. Comfortably, mm. like there was just no doubt. Straight away, I was like, well, that's number one. And nothing ever even, I, you know, like I said, it was, it was, we started putting this together or thinking about it. But when I actually started putting it together, it was probably like August, maybe end of, like the end of August. Mm -hmm. And straight away I went, right, okay, well, what would I think would be number one? Probably fucked up, yeah. And then I listened to it and I was like, yeah, well, okay, that's my favourite so far. What else? And nothing else ever even made me consider, oh, maybe that's number one nothing wow okay not even teal album especially not the fucking teal album <laughs> so there you go fucked up dose your dreams what what is what what's wrong with the world when that's like a kind of not even a cult classic just a no classic in my head it's a Stephen hill classic <laughs> it's really weird i mean i feel like caspian people are aware that that is even you know like the general music fan probably doesn't know what that is but but people within that scene go, oh, no, that's a real fucking... So? Maybe. Yeah, I think people in post-rock... I mean, if you look at the reviews, and if you, I think the people that have talked about it, they do tend to go, oh, yeah, that's really great. Yeah. Record. Mm. Whereas when I talk to people about this, they go, oh, I've not heard it. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I listened to a bit of it, and I was a bit like... Mm. <laughs> it's like, are you fucking on drugs? Like, well, you're not on drugs. <laughs> well, maybe if you bang on about it enough, then people... I do will. bang on about it enough. <laughs> That was a comment on you banging on about yeah. it a lot. Uh, it it's very good. It's a bit better than that. <laughs> um, but anyway, good decade overall. Yeah, it's been all right. Oh, yeah. Before <laughs> the noughties. <laughs> no, it's been very good. It's been very, very good. I'm just tired because we've been going for three hours and Ooh, 20 minutes. Oh, fuck me. Every, Jesus. All right. Well, um, you, can, uh, you can go now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really inauspicious way to end. Uh, thanks for listening. Those That's been our, our favourite um, 10 albums of the 10s. I know it's been long, but I feel like we needed to give each album uh, due credit as they are all brilliant, brilliant records. So uh, we will see you for the normal podcast in a new decade, a new era. Oh, yeah. Uh, real soon. We'll probably be reviewing the new Bring Me The Rising EP. Yep and some other stuff. <laughs> All right, cheers then. See you later. Bye.